0: I guess what we'll start with is, what were you doing here in Colorado? Yeah, man, I, I, I go, I mean, I travel all over the country nearly every weekend. And I was in, um, uh, called ModTAC, a, a range up east, teaching defensive pistol. We taught yesterday. We taught defensive carbine today. So five-hour blocks of instruction on all the stuff that we teach in self-defense. Okay, cool. Yeah. I did so, a book signing on Friday as well. Oh, nice. Where at? Yeah. Uh, a brewery in, in uh, Denver. Is this the ring
1: right here?
0: Yeah, you want to
2: see yeah, Oh yeah, let me see
0: that, dude. That's you sure? Yeah. Okay. It's pretty cool, dude. This is badass. Yeah, is man. it? I mean, uh, legitimately, it's all real and custom made for you guys. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's always like a really cool talking piece because, you know, there's a huge relationship between or a huge relation between um, veterans and and professional athletes yeah for sure you know it's like there's a big relation there um you know and i was i was resonating with you with the tbi talk yeah cam's podcast yeah because that's something that i like the brain damage issue it's huge it's huge right have you got scanned oh yeah oh yeah i have brain brain damage for sure that's crazy man yeah my frontal lobe is just like you know it's bad but it's it's all you can reverse that stuff if you get if you get on it yep and you do it you know there's a thing called brain mapping, you've probably heard of that. Yeah. So I do brain mapping and then I'd use psilocybin, cordyceps, yeah, all that stuff. And uh, Lion's Mane, all that stuff kind of helps regrow neurons and and shit like that, and it really helps me stay focused. And I'm trying to cut out like caffeine and yep. stuff like that. That helps. Are you do um, carnivore diet a little bit? Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, I'm always I've always been kind of on that, you know, meat just meat eater. Yeah, mostly meat. Um, when I was playing I had to eat a lot of like sweet potatoes and shit like that just to get the carbs.
3: Yeah.
1: Um calorie wise I was like 10,000 calories a day sometimes so Of course. Yeah. So so it was 8 to 10,000 a day. was really what I had to eat. You're eating like a cow a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. And then cutting that it was like work, you know. I never really enjoyed eating because Yeah. It was like work. So now that I'm done, it's like you know, I I do like high intensity workouts and you know trained to hunt really is what i'm doing i'm training yeah. to hunt you know because that's what i do now so i'm a bow hunter and i you know i just train to hunt and i just functional crazy, training man. you know so i'm like i'll be in the i'll go in the gym and i'll do like you know he's done shane has done a couple with me where we'll do like i don't know we'll do like a deadlift and then a burpee but like 10 burpees and like 10 deadlifts and then Three shots with the bow and then like 10 calories on the treadmill, like where we're running, you know. So it's yeah, sand, like uh, you know, those go ruck sandbags, yeah, using those things and st- Like, do it. I'll go to like an the incline down in uh. There's a mini incline right here in Colorado, um, in Castle Rock, and it's like 200 steps straight up. So I'll do that, and then it's a mile and a half all the way down on the other side. So I'll carry it up and then walk it down. It's awesome. And like doing stuff like that, you know, because that's hunting.
0: You know, that's a good life. That's a good purpose. I imagine.
1: Yeah, it makes it fun. And that's uh, that's been the the transition out of the NFL for me has been tough. Was tough at first because I was like, well, what do I do now? You know, and I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Yeah but I got shoved into this radio thing and I didn't really want to do it but it was like a good opportunity so I was like I can't really I'm going to just try it you know mm-hmm. and I did it and I really didn't like it because I don't like being in an office yeah and I don't work well around like just random regular people yeah. you know like Oof. I have to be around like high level alpha of course males like yeah. that's the only kind of people I really can work with yeah because if they don't get it you know they, like when I want something done, I want it done now, you know. Uh-huh. Or whenever I expect things to be a certain way, yeah. Just because that's the the culture in the NFL, yeah. It's and the a, corporate
0: culture doesn't, and they don't do that. They're just
1: like, and everything's like kind of kosher. Like in the NFL, if I wanted to, if we got a fist fight, we were best friends as soon as we walked in a locker room, 100%, right? Yeah. And I bet it was the same way in the military. You guys probably, yeah, you and your boys, like probably your best friends, yeah. Probably gotten fist fights fighting all each the time, other. yeah, fighting all the time, like brothers, you know. Yeah. Cuz that's how it is. So it's I can't just choke somebody in the, you know, yeah. in the office and then everything be normal.
0: I imagine um so when you transitioned, I imagine you're kind of the exception cuz a lot of guys don't have a good time transitioning. Uh, they fall apart, which is the same for the military side as well. Well,
1: it's bad, yeah. It's really bad because what happens is first of all, you could talk financially, right? That's like the one aspect where you guys didn't have you guys aren't getting paid like we were getting paid. Yeah, you know, but and you didn't get cared for as like we got cared for. They kind of cater to everything you need. Everything's lined out for you. Yeah, everything is taken care of. When we need an MRI, it's like next day. Yeah, or that hour. Like they get it right away. Like if you roll your ankle in practice, they have got you in an MRI machine a couple hours later. Wow, like it's it's yeah. that quick. You know? But when you leave, but when you none leave, of that. none of that. Yeah. And and you have to take into account, you most guys aren't financially literate. Yeah. And I wasn't either. Like, luckily, I married someone who is way smarter than I am, and you know, she kind of keeps the wheels on the the train on the tracks here. Like, if it wasn't for her, I'd probably probably be living in a van down by the river. Honestly, like, I would have been—I was an idiot. Like, I just was—I was a poor kid from Ohio. I had seven dollars in my name when I got drafted, so like, I didn't really know what I was doing. And And there's a lifestyle to uphold, and there's a lifestyle you get, and there's a there's this thing where you you got to think you're in a locker room with guys that are. Some of these guys are making 20 million a year, 30 million a year, and then some guys are making like 300,000 a year, 400,000 a that's year. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's the disparity like, of the, the oh, distance it's, it's between huge, those two. It's a huge difference, right? And, and, and you get, so you have to stay in your financial lane, right? And what happens when you get done, those checks aren't coming in anymore. So you have to be like, okay, what kind of budget am I on and how are my dividends? And people don't even know what dividends are. I'm like, what's a dividend? You know, at first, you know, <laughs> what does that mean? And they're like, it means like your money is making you money. You shouldn't have to work anymore. Yeah. You know, if you have $20 million in bank, you should be able to spend a million a year and still never go broke and double your money in seven years. Yeah. Like that's how it should go. Yeah. But a lot of guys don't set it up that way. They're just like, oh, I have this much money. They're just spending principal nonstop. Mm-hmm. So they get done and they keep digging into it. And they have family members they're taking care of and they have... Baby moms and they have, you know, X Y Z, and next thing you know, they're broke. They're divorced. They're broke because when you get done, you don't know what to do, and you're just kind of like lost. Yeah. And you know, whoever your significant other was is used to you being gone half the year. Yeah. You're just like mentally and and there's you know, no everything. programs.
0: I imagine the NFL doesn't no. have a lot of programs for no. transitioning guys. No,
1: and they make it they make it really hard for you to like get your benefits and everything. So. They just make it diff. They just they what they do is they just grind you down and make you you and spit you out and then at the end when it's over they do the same thing when you're trying to get your benefits. Mm. They just make it so you can't get them. They make it so you have to keep going to doctors and seeing doctors and they they deny you this, they deny you that. So if you're persistent, you'll get it, but it takes years to get that.
0: Yeah, most people are like, I'm out of here anyway.
1: Right, and then you got to think of the guys that aren't vested vets, right? Because if you're not in the league for three years, you don't get pension, you don't get anything. Like, you might as well just...
0: So three years the cap, once yeah. you get three years. Yeah,
1: and that's really it. So two, and that doesn't count, like, practice squad doesn't matter. Yeah. It's only, only active. So on the 53-man 50, roster, you, Got have, to roster you for, have to be on the roster. You to be on the roster. Yeah. Wow. For two years and three games. Because wow. there's three games equal a whole season. Jeez, man. So it's really, I mean, it's wild. And the average is only two and a half years. I heard that. somebody, And there's a reason yeah. for that, you know?
0: <laughs> I heard that recently, and it's like... The average two and a half years, which is under the cap, obviously they don't have to invest long term invest in you. But then what do those guys do at such a young age with the rest of their lives?
1: Well, yeah, they end up doing things like selling insurance and Yeah. They know. get a
0: taste of like all this lifestyle and all those things. And a lot of them go high and right. They go yeah. they go down the rabbit hole.
1: And it's yeah. that's why it's like, you know, what you've been able to do is so impressive to me because you found a purpose outside of what you had already done. Yeah. What your career path kind of just was it just a natural fit for you? Because yeah. I wanted to talk to, I, mm. I, not to cut you off, but I wanted to talk to you about, because most people, when they hear special forces, they don't really understand what that really means. Mm. And then to get in any, even further into it, Delta. Yeah. And then you were, you were uh, what was the name for it? What's the name for it? CAG, special force, or Delta Force, same thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. CAG. CAG. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The acronym is what I was looking yeah. for. But like, what is the, what does that mean? To people that don't know, anybody that's listening, you know, you're know, you going to explain to them what that means.
0: Yeah, so as a Green Beret in Special Forces, you're – I mean, speci- specifically, a lot of people think – I mean, I've had guys go, oh, so you're a Navy SEAL. You say, what do you do in the military? I was in Special Operations. Oh, you're a Navy SEAL because everybody knows what Navy SEALs are. Each service and branch have specific units that are categorized Special Operations. Um, and they're known as Special Operations Forces. So the Air Force has combat controllers, para um, TACPs are considered special operations as well. Uh, SEER guys are considered special operations as well. In um, the Army, you have Green Berets, and you have U.S. Army Rangers. In the Navy, you have, obviously, the SEALs. Um, and then you have, in the Marine Corps, MARSOC and Force Recon. And when you, when you break out all those services, the job as we rise to the top, is essentially the same. Direct action, counter uh, weapons of mass destruction, hostage rescue, special reconnaissance, and there's a couple nuances in there depending on what organization you work for. So I was a Green Beret. When I was in CAG, which is Combat Application Group, which is a, a special missions unit, a Tier 1 unit, I was a technical reconnaissance expert. I was known as a, a recon NCO, and I worked in a low-vis capacity in one of the lovis squadrons for a period of time. And, you know, at the top, you have special operations, special missions units, which sole responsibility are basically hostage rescue OCONUS outside the continental United States. The FBI hostage rescue team is responsible for CONUS hostage rescues, but they're the the tip of the spear. My experiences from being a E five Green Beret to uh Green Beret Sergeant Major in Special Operations. I had a lot of opportunities at doing a lot of different things. And the culminations of my career include being a team sergeant. Um You was,
1: became a sergeant young, right?
0: I was a I was a twenty-year-old sergeant that was airborne ranger qualified and a tomb guard. I was a tomb guard for a period of time. And then uh and then what I What does made, that mean? What's a tomb guard? So a tomb guard's a guard that guards the Tomb of the Unknowns in Arlington National Cemetery. Okay, But it's a prestigious job. Like you have to try out for it, you get a badge, a fancy badge. And the Army's been guarding the Tomb of the Unknowns in Arlington National Cemetery since 1948. And it's hard. It was one of the hardest things I've done. As a badge holder, um, I got my badge early in my career as an 18-year-old and guarded the Tomb of the Unknowns at an early age, before obviously the global war on terror and all the things that happened after 9-11. But yeah, it's it's a it's a cool career field and uh plenty of opportunity and I, I think I took a lot of opportunities in that career.
1: Yeah, so what did what led you down that path, do you think? All well, my it your heart, childhood
0: and, yeah, and everything mostly, like that. Mostly I mean most military most military guys come from military families. That's just the stat. And my dad was in the Army, my uncles in the Navy, and it's really all I wanted to do. It's like all I did was play sports. I played football. Um And I wanted to be a soldier. And my dad had pushed me in the direction and said, hey, if you want to join the Army, like uh, your cousin's about to join, he joined. And he didn't go infantry, which is I was perplexed by because we grew up together playing soldier. And then I went infantry. And so it was just a – I think for my family, being a family of service members, it was just a natural protocol for us. Yeah.
1: It's it's funny you say that, you know, playing football and then military – that was my backup plan. If I didn't go, there, if I didn't make it to the NFL, yeah. It most,
0: I think, mostly it is yeah. for, for a lot of guys. I mean, that was my
1: plan because I, 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 did. I just was a terrible student. Yeah, like, I just hated school. I didn't like. I didn't like being in. I don't like learning. I have ADHD. Terrible ADHD. Yeah. So if I don't, if I don't have like a, if I don't have like a goal to, yeah. to accomplish in there, right? So it's like yeah. you know when you're doing math and stuff. Math was always kind of easy for me because there's an end goal, right? Mm. When it comes to like science and all this other stuff and like, you know, English and writing papers and stuff like that, I was terrible at it Mm. because I just didn't have any interest in it. But as soon as I get, I'm interested in something, I never had a problem learning a football play. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I learn it, it's locked in there forever. Interesting. So it's like, why couldn't I do that with other things? And it's like, the only thing I could figure is it's the ADHD, Mm. right? And then. You know, I went to so many different elementary schools, I told you. I don't know if you had – I don't know your exact childhood, but from what I was listening to on Cam, it you know, it sounds like a broken home situation. Yeah, it was, yeah, Yeah, and do you think that, like, having a broken home and coming from a broken home – because I know in football, you know, Deion Sanders says this all – you know, he said this when he got to CU, when he just got hired up there. He's like, look, I want my quarterbacks to come from, like, a good family, good GPA, got both parents, you know. I want my defensive linemen to come from broken homes.
0: Angry, they have to be angry. <laughs> Mauling, people. yes,
1: right. And that's. Do you think that that has like a correlation in the in the military as well?
0: Yeah, certainly. I, in fact, a lot of most guys that I know in the military, most of them come from difficult situations uh, as children. And I think one one component of that is you're obviously having to adapt through difficult adversity and situations, right? Even even a family splitting, which is now the norm, right? It's highly yeah. statistical, uh, highly probable that's going to be you or be a child growing up in a household. But I think that benefits people willing to to be adaptive. Mm. And so you want an adaptive mindset. And if you're a quarterback, maybe you're a little bit more rigid and conventional. But if you're, if you're on the field and you're trying to take somebody's head off, you're a little emotional, right? And you need that grit to push you. Um, and to drive you, even to intimidate other people, yeah. right? So I think I grew up certainly in a broken home. Uh, we we didn't have a lot of money, and I think that's like the American story for for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of there's more millionaires than there's ever been in the history of our country, and there's more wealth, and that's a good thing. But I think the majority of the country that serves, at least in the military, and who who honestly grows up playing football, are just uh, salt of the earth people who have gone through a lot. And so for for me personally, I never looked at it as a bad thing. I just looked at it as the situation I was in. And for me, it turned out to be a good thing.
1: Yeah, never there was something, something you said on, a, I don't know whose podcast. Because I, I over the last couple of days, I've been just little, trying to listen to all the podcasts you've done just yeah. to like get uh, refreshed on on everything. But You said something that really resonated with me, and it was about trauma. And it was that nobody owes you anything because you've been through trauma. Yeah, And I went through, I'd spent so much of my life thinking that I had, like, this chip on my shoulder mm. and that, like, I was owed something, you know? Like, I Like, I don't know if I owed it to myself to, like, work harder than everyone else mm. or, you know, I used it as, like, a, a crutch almost, yeah. you know? And then something clicked in my head, you know, early in life, luckily, but I think something clicked where I was like, nobody owes me shit.
0: Yeah, Like you gotta earn it. I though. gotta
1: earn this, like, and then I think it was about, I think it was because I was around successful people that had come from mm. nothing as well. yeah when I was around those people and I realized like, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Mm. So I took it as like, okay, what's my excuse. Mm. There is none. There's yeah. no fucking excuse. Right. There is none. There is no excuse for, for being, you know, a drug addict. Right. Or being, you know, cause you get, you made that choice. Mm-hmm. You make your own choice. Free will. Yeah, yeah. You have free will. Then I mean, we live in a free country, mostly free, yeah. you know, but we have you where you have the free, the choice to make whatever decisions you want. Yeah. So I just made a choice where, okay, I might not be the most skilled player ever, but damn it, I'm going to be the hardest worker. Yeah. I'm just going to work my ass off and outwork everybody in front of me. Yeah. And that could be, um, and this leads me into something else that you said that really resonated with me. When you said, you know, people, you think the social, I think it's social media you were talking about how it's made everybody want their goals now. Yeah. Like they see a long-term goal, but they want it now.
0: Instant gratification.
1: They want that instant gratification, but things take time, right? So it's like one step at a time. And for me, it was one play at a time, one, one play at a time, one series at a time, one day at a time,
2: mm.
1: one game at a time, one season at a time. And it just was like, next thing I know, I played 10 years in the NFL, won a Super Bowl, and now I have what I have and now I am who I am. And now I take that same mentality into what I'm doing now. Yeah, you know, with with the podcasting, with the hunting show, um, I'm thinking about doing some. I'm gonna do some stand up comedy. I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, with with Kevin McNamara. Oh, that's gonna be fun, man.
0: Yeah, gonna Ke- be fun. yeah.
1: We're we're. I have a call with him tonight. We're gonna try to put a plan together to yeah. do, do some shows. You going to do the practice, the rehearsal, and yeah. all the sets. Oh and yeah. Stuff? Oh yeah. That's so fun. Oh, I yeah.
0: actually thought about that too. I thought it'd be so fun because it it's not off the hip, but it's very scripted. But if you sat down and you actually isolated that. Man, you can come up with some, just based on the stories that you experienced. I'm sure in the NFL.
1: Well, it just the NFL, the things I went through as a kid, like a lot, and they're dark. But it's I can make it funny. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a lot of dark shit that we need went more down. Of that. Could, yeah, it's like I don't know. I just I, I dealt with a lot of you know. I Heard here go here I go. I'm going to quote you again. But you said something about you know the suicide rate. Yeah. Right now, I think the suicide rate is so high because people are like they don't know they're not equipped to deal with the stress of the the social media, the the constant screens, the, you know, everything you put out there is like under a microscope now, right? Never before in human history have we been this connected as a planet. Mm -hmm. It feels like the world is a lot smaller now. So I think that that is overwhelming to people. It's
0: overwhelming, yeah.
1: You know, so if you could, like, when you you said just like staying in your lane, focus on yourself Mm -hmm. and what you got going, yourself, your family – and keeping your little lane and doing the right things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that is a huge help. You know what I mean? And there's all these different medicine, like there's all these different uh, natural medicines that you can do right. Mm-hmm. With the mushrooms, CBD, CBD's yep. the, um, the wolf 21. Yeah. Thank you. You know, yeah. uh, that stuff is yeah. awesome. It's really helped me. I appreciate that. You know, yeah. I love that stuff. The sleep aid, um, is really good. Um, we're I'm actually working with Slumber now too. That's awesome. On our own um, on our own little They're um, great, man. And they're yeah, local. Yeah, really good people. Yeah, really good people. Um, yeah. So and we're, it's here in Colorado. Yeah. And they're right here based in Colorado. They do everything ethically. Yeah. Um, you it's know, huge. I just I love it. So I I just really would like to see people, you know, take those don't get so caught up, right? And you said you said it you said it best because you said, look, just get through the day mm-hmm. because that um, that that low isn't gonna last forever. Yeah. It's just like a high, you know, and that was the thing about the NFL was like, don't get too high on the highs. Don't get too low on the lows. Try mm-hmm. to stay right here. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest thing in life is just stay right here. Cause everybody's looking for that high,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And then when it get low, it's like this, it's like, oh, I can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. I can't deal with this like depression, this anxiety. I feel this like constant pressure to like live up to what everybody else is doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you just take a step back and focus on yourself mm-hmm. in the moment, It'll slow everything down for you. Yeah. And then you can like just get through the day, man. Like, cause I deal with, I had to deal with like a lot of suicidal thoughts. I still, I still do because yeah. it's, you, when you have brain damage or TBIs or CTE, when you have any of that stuff, yeah, you're going to, it's not even like clinic, you can't like cure it with medicine. It's there. It's, it's just there. Head. Yeah. So you have to just like get through it, you know, yeah. like, Hey, just accept that it's not going to be there for all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And it does, it sucks, you know, like days like Father's Day for me are tough, Mother's Day, tough, because I just didn't have those things growing up. So Mm -hmm. like, I always get these weird like emotions around that time. And I get, I just shut down kind of like, I just don't talk. Yeah. And everybody's like, what's wrong with him? And I'm like, I'm just dealing with my shit right now. Like, let me just deal with it, you know? Yeah. So, and that's how I deal with it with by training. Like I get into the gym and just punish myself and that makes me feel better. Mm. You know, I don't know what it does, but it works.
0: Yeah. It probably yeah. keep, keeps you chemically balanced.
1: It does, exactly. And it's
0: kind of weird being in the NFL. Where I look at you guys are in the limelight so often, and I can't imagine going in from like a, you know, you get a Super Bowl ring, and you're at the highest high, and then you just go home and you're just a dad. Yeah. And it's like, but I'm, you know, your persona and, your, and the way you're representing yourself is such a high level. And then you get home, and the expectation is, well, I'm still that super, super Bowl champion. And then you get home, it's like, yeah, but is, is being a dad enough? And some guys, for some guys, from, I would say for the majority of people, you know, being the Green Beret, being the operator, it's, it was enough, but now they live vicariously through that, and now being a dad's not enough. And they don't know how to make that connection where it's like, being a dad is better than being an operator. Being a dad is better than winning in a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. At the peaks of the moments that you live in being a father, there are more things that are more impactful that it's just between you and your daughter or you and your son that are just going to be so much more impactful in your overall life and scope that don't include one spectator. Yeah. And that's so important to recognize. And I think the, the thing that's illustrated and in, in even just talking about, which I think is important, is people need to hear that. Yeah. Because if you have no context for it and you don't understand and and you're looking for resources for information and everybody's like, dude, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks, and the world sucks, I always tell people if they take their cell phone face down and put it away and all of a sudden it doesn't suck, well, you have your answer. It's like get the hell off your cell phone, get immersed back with your children. And honestly, just like with the NFL and the military, rebuild those relationships that you put off for so long. Yeah. Because if you were a professional athlete if you're at the top of the game, the allocation of time was not on your side. You had to allocate all the time to be the best in that profession, yeah. and you neglected something. But that's okay, that's how it works. Cam Haynes will tell you that, all the experts will tell you that. But just go back and try to strike the balance and repair all the damage that you, and unintentionally did yeah. for good purpose. Have a have an empathetic mind and an open heart, and you'll repair that and you'll realize, dude, I should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. And, and and you know, I, I hope pro, pro football players or people who listen to this don't go, well, you shouldn't be the professional. You shouldn't be at the top of the game. Do that and then strike the balance. Yeah. yeah. Consciously strike the balance.
1: Yeah, because you, you have to maximize the... Have you to. have to maximize that time. Yeah, have to. You know, you, you only have so much time as, a, as, a, as an athlete or as an operator. There's only so much time that you can do that, right? There's only yeah. a small... It's a small window. Ten years yeah. is not very long in, in the in the span of a whole life, you know, I was, I retired at 33 years old, crazy. And it's like, okay, well, look, I was lucky enough to have a passion to get right into. Yeah. Right. I was, I feel blessed to have that passion. The hunting component. Yeah. Bow hunting was like, you know, I dove full bore into that, you know, I, that September came and I didn't have to think like, I'm not playing games right now. What am I supposed to do? I was thinking Mm -hmm. I'm chasing elk. You know, I went on three different hunts in September and you know, I put my – my wife has just been such a rock star through the whole thing because it, it was tough. Like, mm. okay, I am I was in Baltimore for two years during COVID. Didn't get to see her a lot. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to spend a lot of time. And I Playing to, football? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because my last two years were in Baltimore. The Ravens? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it was just hard, man. We had a brand-new baby. You know, she was only two years old when I reti- – she was two when I retired. Mm-hmm. Well, three. She was three. But, you know, those first two years of her life, you know, I missed almost a whole year. Oof all together just yeah. you know and I'm, just cuz I'm on the other side of the country she was getting to come visit every now and then but it's still all the way on, in Baltimore yeah F- traveling and putting a mask on a 2-year-old that just isn't going to happen
0: did they even have crowds when you guys were playing football during Not covid no in 2020 so there's no crowds it was so weird so you played football with no spectators yeah <laughs> what so i imagine like even the sounds that you heard on the field like smacking pads helmets you could hear everything. It
1: was like practice, crazy. It was just like practice, but like a f- like full go. You yeah, know, trying to like you had to bring same. your own energy. You know, there was no crowd to amp you up. Like you'd make a play, and you used to <laughs> usually I jump up and howl, and the whole crowd howls for me. Yeah, and then that wasn't there.
0: So, did any guys after you like score? Were you celebrating, or were you like, there's nobody to?
1: We would all celebrate. We would just. Br- it was. It was fun because it kind of brought us closer together as a team. Ah. Uh. Because you know we just would celebrate as a team, but then they like got it. They cracked down on that, and they made it really hard for us to like be a team because they were like, when you as soon as you get off the field, you got to throw a mask on. And it's like for you what? I was just, just spitting just on each other. In, yeah, we're just spitting and bleeding on each <laughs> other, and you worried about us putting a mask on? It was insane to me. But oh man, whatever. Yeah, we just had to kind of follow the rules. Yeah, and then uh, the vaccine thing came along. Yeah, the next season, and that was like a whole another. Oh. A whole another war that we had to fight because they just were like so persistent with us. And there was, I know that some coaches had like, they had like polls going to see if they could get their position group to get all vaccinated. Wow. Yeah. Because you got to think the NFL is working on a TV deal. Yeah. So they had to show that we were never going to not play a game. Like the games are going to get played no matter what, regardless. Like we played a, (laughs) we played the first and only ever Wednesday game. And it was us. It was Baltimore, Pittsburgh. So you know that rivalry is like huge on Wednesday. And we were supposed to play on Sunday. Then they kept pushing it. And then finally on Wednesday, they're like, "All right, let's go get on a plane. We're going to play." And we're like, "All right." And we had like nobody. You know, crazy.
0: <laughs> it was crazy. Did yeah. they do a Super Bowl with nobody? No. Or they, by no, it why was... the
1: time when the playoff, it's crazy. Once the playoffs hit, they were like, "Oh, COVID, what's that?"
0: <laughs> yeah, and it all went away. Yeah, it all went away. Yeah, you know, And okay. then
1: twenty twenty one, they had all these rules for the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Yeah. Like I couldn't, because there was only like five or six of us that didn't get vaccinated.
0: Yeah. And and you couldn't get into a stadium unless you were vaccinated. right? Well,
1: they made, they made exceptions. It uh-huh. was like certain cities like New York. You couldn't, um, but where uh, there was no issue up there. It was, it was inside the building. You were segregated. Uh-huh. So it was like this big segregation. And when the league came in to explain it to us, because I, I demanded that we have a meeting with the league. Because we were in training camp, and we it's 98 degrees outside, and we had a full pad of practice, three hour, three and a half hour practice, and I'm walking off the field. There's no mask for us to put on to walk into the locker room with, and I'm like, you know, take off my pads and everything, and I'm pounding a protein shake because I hadn't eaten for you know since breakfast, so I'm starving, and I'm drinking this protein shake as walking in. The next day, I come in and there's a fifteen thousand dollar fine in my locker. They said, you, refu- re- you refused to take a, uh, to put a mask on. And I was like, I didn't refuse anything. What is this? And there was like five or six of us that had that. I th- Actually, it was more than that. I think it was like 10 or 12 of us that had it. $15,000.
0: $15,000.
1: Yes. <laughs> Pre-tax.
0: Oh, my gosh. I think
1: we're getting taxed half of our money anyway.
0: So you guys fought it. Did you guys get it?
1: No. No, they didn't do anything. They came in, had a meeting with us. And they were like, "Just wear your mask." I was like, "Don't worry, I'll wear my star, David." Like I made, I was like, "You guys are addict." He was like, "We're just trying to do what's best for you guys." I was like, "How is this what's best for us? Finding us for simple little violations? Why don't?" Yeah, it, it that make no sense. That, by the way, that makes zero sense at all. I mean, it. May, I'm like, what am I supposed to keep a a mask in my in my underwear? Like in my pants? Like shove it down in my pants and pull it out of there and put it on? That's I'll probably get sick doing that. Like let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Like old grundle, you know, duck butter all over <laughs> it. You're like just it's disgusting. Like like yeah, where are you supposed to keep them at? That's what I'm saying. There was no mask to put on. So, so I don't crazy Yeah, that. it's just it was crazy. And then like every single day pressure you come on, like just just get the vaccine, just get it. You know, come on, it's it's
0: not a big deal. That's what it was, it was about.
1: Yeah. Control. It's all about control. Right. And you you were talking about that on Cam's podcast about, you know, the the government, how much they want to control what we're doing at all times and how irritating that makes me I it's or how irritated it makes me it makes me so irritated to be controlled anyways because I've been I've been on my own since I was like 11 years old Mm. doing my own thing you know Mm. even before that I was still kind of taking care of myself you know but so now I'm a grown man and you're trying to tell me I have to do this I have to do that and yeah you know it's really frustrating man it it makes me kind of kind of crazy but the, that's the, a good American trait, though. You I eat, think so, yeah. right? I think as an American, like it's in your blood to not want to be told be. what to
0: do. It should be, and a lot of people don't have
1: that in their blood. Yeah, well, they—it's because they're complacent. Yeah, for sure. It's a disease. It is. It's a, the complacency disease, don't you think?
0: Well, I think a lot of a lot of Americans don't realize the way this works, which is the hierarchy of different social classes. Mm. There's always an incentive for a social class beyond you to keep the social class below them down, right? So they want to stay up and they want to climb the ladder, but there's always an incentive to keep others down. So if you're a if you're a politician and you buy into the fact that everybody is a libertarian and you guys can exercise your freedoms across the spectrum of freedom in America, that would go against your ability to stay in your class because now all of a sudden, Oh, they don't want to buy into welfare. They don't want to buy into um, any social campaigns where we're taking all the control. Like the idea of parenting. Like there's literally politicians stating with activists that you don't need to parent your children. The government can parent your children for you. We can make decisions for you because we know what's best. And that whole thing is something that strips away freedoms from Americans Policy by policy and action by action. And that's what's scary is what Americans don't realize is the reason we ended up in this thing called the Revolutionary War was because we had literally no freedoms. And we had to bow and bend a knee to the monarchy. Well, (laughs) that monarchy, which exists in the UK and also exists now in a separate facet in Canada, is the exact representation of something we don't want to become. Right, Everybody in the UK, which I have lots of friends in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, all want to be us, even today, still. Why? Because we're freer than they are. Mm-hmm. And when you look back at history, when you look at the, the situation we're in now, these politicians who are literally making a life out of being a politician, which is insane. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's a limitation on every single aspect of governance in the military, you serve 20 years. you have to have waivers to get more than 20 years, but as a politician, you could be a senior citizen in a diaper and still working I mean you could be a you literally are a Supreme Court justice until you die yeah that's the tenure, which is insane which is insane so you could be out of your mind, which we know cognitively beyond CTE is a natural progression and and degenerating as a human being, but then you can make decisions for policy for the rest of the country. And so the whole system is broke. And I think for the first time, we're realizing that. And we're also realizing there's no fix. And that's the scary thing for me is if there's no fix, if there's no uh, profound leaders are stepping in positions to make change, and if those leaders are in position to make change, they get suppressed and completely ripped out of their position, then what hope do we have? And and it's it's meek, to say the least. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. It scares the hell out of me. 2024 is going to be...
1: Interesting. Crazy. It's going to be really interesting. It's going to be super fun, though. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch it
0: all fall apart and hopefully <laughs> build back up. Yeah. It's like that's the spirit of Americans. It's like, let's burn it down. But then they're like, well, who's going to build it up? Yeah. And I'm all for like the idea like, hey, we need to profoundly burn institutions down, not physically and not uh, literally. But, I mean, we need to start over. And I hope we don't get to a campaign where it's like we're going to do drastic things.
1: What would drastic look like to you?
0: I mean, civil, drastic in the worst case is civil unrest in pockets, especially in heavy populated cities throughout the country. Um, Imagine this, like we have an election. 60% of Americans right now think if there's an election held today, this is a bipartisan um, uh, controversy. Everybody thinks this. If we have an election today, Democrats and Republicans think it will be unfair no matter what. There'll be some kind of AI interference foreign interference, or, you know, other opposing party interference. If that's the case and we have an election, let's say Trump wins. If Trump wins, you have half the country who's disaffected and they want to burn down. If Biden wins, same exact case. Let's say civil unrest takes place. We saw this with BLM and TIFA. Civil unrest and pockets of violence break out in major major metropolitan areas. High population centers. Imagine cops show up, civil uh, civil protests take place, bad actors are infiltrated, cops get killed, cops shoot back, innocent protesters get killed. However it works out, that is worst case scenario. Because now, everybody who wasn't on the streets is like, oh, it's happening. They hit the streets. Where will Mike Glover be? I'll be in Heber City, Utah, taking care of my family, protecting them. Yeah. And likely not amongst this kind of thing because it will probably happen in Salt Lake County and Salt Lake City but not near Heber City in the mountains. This will happen throughout the country and if this happens and that's the MO then imagine these pockets of violence burning the country down seemingly. Yeah. Where now you have groups of American insurgents who think they're campaigning on the right side of history and fighting on the right side and they target police officers. Yeah. And then vice versa you have police officers who are literally targeting bad guys that think are bad, and it's just it's wild. It's the Wild West. That's worst case because then the military has to come in, yeah. and then you're talking about like where do we go from here? Um, and a president would have to be the right leader to get through that situation strategically and tactfully without burning the country to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's only a couple steps. I mean, it's we're, we're a couple steps away from that.
1: Oh yeah, I think so too. Scary, and it is scary, and it. You know, I, like you said, when you were talking about the civil unrest, I was thinking about you know these what they call it the DMZ up in uh, DMZ, yeah, up in where was that at uh, Korea on the border? Yeah, of uh, Korea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine. Im- I mean, Im- I can imagine like they, that would happen here. Like we would have an area where like you just don't cross.
0: Well, d- imagine this. I, I think you know a lot of people forget that we are a United States of America. It's what makes America, and the benefit of that is we were supposed to have decentralized powers pushed to the states you lived in. And the federal government had its buy-in and the state had their their buy-in. That's in a perfect world. Well, now we're seeing a lot of federal overlap. Like the idea of Biden saying, uh, we're going to pay off all the student debt loan for federal student (laughs) debts. He's literally making and campaigning for taking taxpayers $300 billion. I mean, the net on... uh, Student loans across the board is over a trillion dollars. But federally, out the gate, he was saying, we're going to relieve $300 billion of debt. Well, where does that come from? Well, the taxpayers pay for it. Yeah. So the idea that states uh, would buy into that is ludicrous, which is why you have representatives, representatives in Congress. So that was the whole beef. The beef was saying, hey, you are an executive function of the executive branch. We regulate you. The Supreme Court is a supreme law using the constitution. You can't do that. Like, what do you mean we can't do that? We're the president. It's like, you're the executive branch. Yeah. You know how you could do that? You can get the buy-in from Congress to approve it, get the approval from the Senate, uh, and then legally make it a law or legally make it a whatever, and we get this done. Well, the problem now is the decentralization of states have so much collusion with the federal government like, California is completely colluded with the federal government, mm-hmm. which is why it's likely collapsing. you got states like Utah who are like, leave us to hell alone. Texas is the same way. Leave us to hell alone. And they're, they're thriving. So in that worst case, well, what would you do if you're a good governor? Well, you would literally create a demilitarized zone around your state and have entry and exit points leading into your state to protect the citizens of your state. I think, interestingly enough, and maybe controversially enough, that's best case scenario, because I want to be a, I want like my pass to go into Utah, Montana, Wyoming, and the place that I in Colorado that I frequent, without worrying about people who are radical extremists who who are Antifa members from Seattle wanting to come to Colorado and burn it down. Right, which is how it works. They're all inner. They're all ec- foreign, external actors who are coming into locations where they know that it's a hotbed for violence or their activism. Yeah. So it's all, it's scary, but I mean, I, I, I think that would be a good thing in some cases.
1: Yeah. Because then it would, then it would, it would keep us so we could be, um, we could still stay a, a country. You know, we'd still have a country. Yeah. Because if you have all out civil war where it's just like every man for himself, It'd get bad. It would get so bad. And desperate. And extremely desperate because most people can't survive, you know, sixteen hours without, you know, power. Like they can't make it a day without power. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have no idea how to how to survive. And that um that leads me into the next thing. So what did you do after Delta Force? What did like what what did you do after that? Like you, you were did you just like transition easy out of that into the, you went to the CIA, right?
0: So I went, so I went, so my army career, I was only a Delta for, I was in the unit for three years. And from that, I, I actually left as a newly, newly promoted master sergeant. And I was talking uh, offline with one of your guys about this. I, I started, um, a, a commanders and extremist force, which is a reinforced special forces company, a specialized company called C-210, which is Charlie Company, Second Battalion, Special Forces Group. They handled the continent of Africa. So after I left the organization, I, I stood up that organization with another unit member, and we were sniper reconnaissance experts uh, that, that had a lot of ex- combat experience, and we stood this unit up. As soon as we stood it up, I was the first to deploy to Libya right after Benghazi. So Benghazi was September of 2012, I deployed to Benghazi October 2012 and spent six months there working a counterterrorism program. From there, I got recruited for the CIA. And so I transitioned from military active duty as an E-8 to going into the reserve component of special operations or special forces. Uh, And I was in 19th special forces group as a team sergeant and then eventually a sergeant major. And then worked in the CIA for uh, nearly three years.
1: And what was that like?
0: It was awesome, man. The CIA is a good organization. Like I like institutionally, all these institutions deal with high-level political actors, but at the ground level, all these organizations have really good people on the ground. And the CIA was was no exception to that. They were amazing.
1: Are you allowed to talk about some of yeah. the stuff? What kind of things were you like what was your main mission when it came to the working for the CIA? What was like the one thing that stood out, like your favorite part of, of it, you know, like your favorite mission, your favorite like yeah. goal. I know, because I just don't know what that looks like. Yeah,
0: a lot of people don't, which is a good thing I think. It's for for the most all I know part. is what I hear. You <laughs> yeah, know?
1: and it's like, what what do I know? I don't know anybody that's in that has ever been in the CIA. So
0: yeah, so the CIA is so you ever he's seen the movie Thirteen Hours in Benghazi. Yeah, I, I will tell you, th- there's a lot of that movie that's completely bullcrap, but. And it's Hollywood esque. They had to put the they had to do that, but a lot of that job as as depicted is exactly how it was. For example, um, in the movie, they show the guy show up from the airport. He gets picked up. The guy hands a Glock and like a radio. That happened to me when I first infiltrated in, into the the countries that I was in, and it was like, oh, here's your gun, here's your radio, time to go to work. And for the most part it wasn't really sexy. I mean, you're doing a lot of sexy things in the background, facilitating a lot of operations that are big picture, but you don't get to see a lot of the big picture effects that you have on the ground in the moment. But essentially, I was a, a, a bodyguard for intelligence officers operating in very extreme environments. And they paid me for my resume. So when we show up, we validated, we vetted, And we get trained, and then we go to war. Go back to it, except we're paid really well, and we're treated really well. I mean, I had chefs in the CIA everywhere I went. I ate good. I I had immaculate gyms, access to facilities that I never had in the military. So for a, a poor Army kid growing up from an E1, like no rank, to a sergeant major, it was a different world. A world that I'd seen in the background in the army a lot. Yeah, I worked with the CIA when I was on active duty, but seeing it and being in it is different. And I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it, man. I, I think I had, uh, I, everybody I worked with in the CIA, on the GRS side, the Global Response Staff Office side, where I felt confident if shit hit the fan, they were going to be able to take care. We were going to be able to take care of each other. I didn't feel that level of confidence everywhere I went in the military. Hmm. Certainly in certain organizations like Combat Application Group. Everybody there knows what the hell they were doing for the most part. They're competent operators. The CRIF, the Commanders in Extremist Forces, most of those guys are squared away. But every guy I worked with in GRS that was riding shotgun with me with a Glock 17 in his waistband, I knew if shit hit the fan... That dude knew how to shoot, move, and communicate. And that was a different feeling. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. That's uh, you know, I've been a part of on a, not so much of a dangerous level, but you know, on the field. I've been a part of the best teams that I was a part of. Every guy on that field, like our Super Bowl fifty team. Yeah. Every single guy you know, on that right? field, even like the backup, right? I knew that I could count on him. Yeah. And the part the teams that we didn't have success with, I had to like, I couldn't count on the guy next to me. You know, when you can't count on the guy next to you it's it's like you're doing twice the work you're doing you know you're doing too much you're not focused on just your job yeah. when you can focus on just your job knowing that you can trust this guy behind you or the guy beside you yeah i'm sure that makes a huge difference in the military yeah. especially on any kind of operation you're going on just the day to day um peace of mind you know that that peace of mind knowing that like okay he's got my back he knows i got his back it's going to be good yeah you know and i, and I
0: imagine I, you work with those guys a lot leading up to the Super Bowl.
1: Well, yeah, you're practicing every day together. Yeah. You know, not like, you know, Von Miller and I had been – we we played eight years together ne- right next to each other. You know, we had 136 sacks together. You know, that's a ton of sacks. Yeah. You know, that's a ton of time in the backfield on a quarterback. And a lot of it was just us so – we didn't have to, like, talk. We just could use our eyes to understand, like, what the other guy was about to do. But that's built over time, right? That's so awesome. You though. have to build that, that trust and that – um that camaraderie, right. That, that brotherhood. Right? Yeah. Cause he was like a brother to me, you know, he still is. So it's, it's like when you, <laughs> when you take that same, that same attitude into the military, yeah. Like, you know, when you guys are clearing a room or you're approaching a vehicle or you're, you're approaching a, um, a target, you know that everybody in your group knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah. Right. There's not like that one guy. Cause all on the football field, if 10 guys are doing everything right and one guy's doing something wrong, they can still score a touchdown. It's all screwed up. Yeah. They can still score a touchdown. Right. So like everybody has to be doing their fucking job. Interesting. You know, so it's like everybody it's, it's this team. It's the ultimate team sport football, man. Like on the offense and defense, both, especially on the defense, you know, because you have to be doing everybody. Like if you're blitzing, if somebody's blitzing a gap and I'm not, and I'm in the way I've just, now two people are out of the play. Now we're both out of the play. Wow. we're screwed, yeah. you know, because now something can go wrong. Something terrible can go wrong out there. Nobody's going to get killed. But at the end of the day, it's the same concept. And when I was, uh, we had a coach named John Fox. His dad was a SEAL. Mm. So John Fox used to bring fight- SEALs all the time, uh, Green Berets, and he would bring uh, fighter pilots. and Because they all were talking about team. It was yeah. all team first, right? And it's yeah. like, what can I do for the guy next to me?
0: That's so cool. I'm
1: not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for him. Yeah. You know, I got to make sure I know my shit because he needs me to.
0: The crossover is so fun. You know, it's, and that's yeah. why
1: I love hanging out with vets and talking to vets because it, the crossover is like, it's like spot on. Yeah. Of course, somebody fucking rings the doorbell. Barely heard. That's it. the Yeah, you barely hear it. But, it, you know, it's the crossover is just, it's so much fun to me to like pick the brain of a, of a special, high level special forces guy. That can just like, you know, because to me, you're like, you guys are the smartest people out there. Yeah. You know, the alpha of the alphas. Yeah. You know, and that's the kind of people I like to be around.
0: We, we think the same. I think our, our community thinks the same way about professional athletes because I know a lot growing up with very talented and physical specimens in special operations, a lot of these guys were D1 athletes. And, you know, a, a lot of us, depending on our journey and path, could have potentially been professional athletes and so that crossover is so cool because I know a lot of professional athletes I talk to and friend are friends with if given the opportunity they would have crossed over and went to the military to do whatever that thing is I mean which I think is really cool yeah
1: so in 2013 I bruised my spinal cord and I was paralyzed and I played two weeks later and then I was playing good football but I was like something went right I was Losing feeling in my arms a lot. Ooh. I was getting stingers. You know, stingers. Yeah, all. I was yeah. getting a lot of stingers, really bad ones. I was having really. I couldn't sleep. I was having crazy hallucinations. Well, fast forward to twelve weeks later, I had a seizure, and it almost killed me. Oh wow! The seizure almost killed me. It put me in the hospital. I was in a coma for thirty six hours. Wow. It was really bad. When I came out of that coma, I was, I was genuinely, genuinely contemplating, just saying, you know. Like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna go to the military. I'm yeah. gonna find something. I want to find something in that field that I want to do because was it sh- a hit. Oh yeah, I got hit in the top of the head. I got I somebody cut my legs and then the fullback came speared, and yeah. speared me on the top of the head. Oof! And I just melted into the ground and it, my whole body felt like you know when you sit on a shitter for too long. Yeah, and you yeah. stand up. That's yeah. how my whole body felt. My mouth, I couldn't talk wow, for three hours. Dude. I was like that. And then I like I said, I played two weeks later and, and for twelve weeks I was playing good football, but I was miserable. I was really in hell. Like, it was – I couldn't sleep. I was having these cra- – I mean, at night I would wake up paralyzed in fear with a figure standing over me. Crazy. And it was, like, the craziest shit ever. And I knew it wasn't real, but it was, like, how can I – I can't keep this up, you know? And then I st- I found other ways to, like, kind of battle that, you know, healthy ways, you know, because I just wasn't done playing yet. Like, I made a decision, like, no, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. And I did, and I kept going, and I ended up winning a Super Bowl, got, got my big paycheck, um – and made it out, you know, yeah. but it was, I'm still, I still deal with like some residuals mm-hmm. from that, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, as far as injuries go, like my neck and my hips and, and my elbows, and my fingers and my feet, like everything hurts all the time.
0: Yeah. And you're so young too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I have to do everything I can to like, to me, it's just keep moving. As long as I keep Mobility, moving. Yeah. Yeah. Just staying mobile, like continue to move, you know, pushing myself. It, it, Cause I feel like if you stop, it's like, concrete settling you know oh, yeah man <laughs> you know that concrete settles yeah it's, a, it's like a it's like a long ruck right like when you're yeah. like on a long ruck if you sit down you're screwed you're screwed keep going keep, keep stay moving. up and keep moving because if you sit down and that lactic acid settles your it's feet like,
0: swell and
1: oh yeah it's to me it's like when people take their when we're hunting and people take their boots off yeah i'm like dude you keep that, back in. you're not getting your foot back in there man like keep the boot on you know unless you know for a fact that they could you know can fit so so yeah, I just um, I just am really grateful that I was able to come out of that, you know. And I'm and a lot I of guys don't, right? A lot of guys don't. Yeah. A lot of guys would have hung it up. And a lot of doctors told me to hang it up, but I was like, nah, I'm not done, you know. And, and that was
0: pre Super Bowl.
1: That was pre Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah awesome. That that ye- that season we went to a Super Bowl and lost wow. to Seattle. Wow. In New York, it was. And the following year you won, or in the they- following year, no, we went to the playoffs and lost, and then the next year after that. You guys won. Yeah, we went and won with the you know, our defense was just fucking unreal. You know, so it was that defense was disgusting. That's crazy. Was couple, it was year
0: 2015.
1: 2015 yeah. 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 Yeah, it was an unbelievable team. Um, okay, so <laughs> I trying to stay on track. But so all right, so you do this, you go to the CIA. Yep. And then you get done with then you decide to move out of that. what did you move into after that?
0: So I started my company, Phil Kraft Survival back then and I don't say it a lot, but I, I the first thing that happened when I got out of the military slash CIA because I was in both. I mean that's the reason I I was so taxed, man. I like I would come back from Africa from the CIA, put on uh, a a uniform and deploy as a sergeant major to Africa, and it's like I had no life. Yeah, and it just su- It sucked because operationally. If there was a war going on, it never sucks. Because like conflict and combat is something that I strove to be involved in. And nearly every year of my military career, I, I deployed to war. You think so, it was the adrenaline? No, it wasn't necessarily adrenaline. It was more, I think, there's a big misconception for the military about adrenaline. Because at a certain point, when you're operating, when you're going overseas and you're doing the job, you're, you get really good at it. And so you really miss it, like being on target, doing the planning, doing rehearsals, going on target, killing bad guys, coming back, going to the gym, eating chow. That cycle becomes very addictive.
1: It's the same in football. Yeah, man. it is the same. It, it's cycle. gotta
0: be. It's it gotta be the dopamine, right? It's gotta be the all the endorphins. The routine. The too. routine. Like a lot of people, I love, my favorite thing is when special operations guys say they're unconventional. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't confuse, un, don't confuse unconventional warfare or unconvention with what you are because you're more regimented. The most elite soldiers in the world are more regimented than any soldiers. That has nothing to do with how you operate on the battlefield in convention or unconvention, but your routines are locked and dialed. I would,
1: say, I would, to cut, just to cut you off there, I would say that that applies for anybody that's, anybody that's right. elite at anything, elite yeah. in business, elite in medicine, elite in uh, yeah. science, elite, I mean, look at the routines that these guys do. Look at Cam Haynes. Yeah, dude, this guy's an animal. <laughs> he blows my mind. That's, when I went up there to do that podcast, I said, hey, how far are we running? You know? And he was like, you're not running, you're carrying a rock. And I was like, "All oh, right, perfect.
0: Yeah. Perfect. I was happy too, Yeah, but still, bro, I, I carry this 80 pound, uh, or the 70 plus pound, uh, sandbag on my back and I didn't have to carry the rock cause it was the last class that he did. I think yours was the last one. He did the rock. Yeah. We did the sandbags and it still sucked, but it's like he just ran up. He's 55 and he like ran up it. like it's nothing like nothing. He wasn't breathing at all.
1: Yeah. We're, we're going, we're going up. this this thing and he's like talking to me the whole time. And it was, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, you know, I just, cause I grabbed it and it looks so small when I grab it, but it's an 80 pound rock. It's 80 pounds. Yeah. It's an 80 pound rock. And I just grabbed it and threw it on my shoulder, and we go, you know? And he's like, oh, that thing looks like a baseball in your hands, you know? I was like, I don't feel like a baseball. (laughs) And then you got to come back down. Well, yeah, I took it up and carried Uh, it. He said, nobody's come back down with the rock yet. Oh, really? Yeah, I was the first one to do it with the rock to go up and down. So you went
0: up the back mountain way? Yeah. And then you went down the... No,
1: we came down the same way.
0: Ooh, that's brutal.
1: Yeah, we came down the same way.
0: Yeah, I carried it up and then went down the, the... The paved way. Yeah. Which was easy.
1: Yeah, we didn't do that. I think he you know why I think he did that? Because I almost fell like five or six times. I was slipping and sliding all over the place. He wanted that footage,
0: man. Oh yeah. He (laughs)
1: wanted the footage. But it was I mean, it was great because the whole way up he's like, Oh, you're doing great, man. Like keep going. Yeah. You're doing great. Doing a good job. Wow, you're doing good. I was like, this guy is like the best coach ever. His
0: habits, his routines, his work ethic is what makes him one of the best in the world.
1: Oh, absolutely! And he, I told him that I said, "Dude, you are a testament that you know you don't have to be a big, strong, you know, crazy athlete to be successful in this world." Yeah, like all, and especially in America. Yeah, and especially in this, in these times when everybody's so fragile and weak, like yeah. you can, you are like a, the perfect example of a guy who just outworked everyone.
0: He's what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, he's he's what I want to be when I'm his age.
1: I know. He's the one. He inspired me to do this podcast. Really? Yeah. He was like, dude. That's you, how new this is? Yeah. This is my fourth episode. Congrats, man. Yeah. That's really cool. You yeah. should well, be fifth. doing You're that. my fifth. You're my fifth episode. You
0: should be doing that. That's, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. He was like, man, you're a great conversationalist. You should be doing a podcast. And I was like, well, I'm thinking about, I was kind of dragging my feet. I had already had like the table and. Yeah. I just was like kind of dragging my feet with it because I was like, I don't know if I want to do it in my house. I don't want to, you know, am, are people really gonna to want to come and do this? You yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, or when you hit me up I'm like, hell yeah. I want yeah. To and that. I
1: was like, you know what, man? I was like, I feel like people will definitely want to come do this and talk to me. Like, hell yeah. And and I love hearing people's stories anyways. Yeah. I love like sharing stories with people. Yeah. That's like my favorite part about hunting is that you get in a campfire and you just sit there and bullshit talking stories I love that and too, man. busting each other's balls. You can't tell me that's not one of your favorite memories about being with the guys is busting each other's balls. That's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. It's a nonstop, like, roast fest on each other. That's all we (laughs) did in the locker room. Everyone's roasting each other nonstop. Constantly. It's
0: just constant. And any outside entity that comes into that, they're like, what the hell? Like, this is every day. They don't even get it. Every minute of the day. Well, we
1: had, you got to think, every day we get from coming from practice, there's reporters in the locker room with us. Really? So the reporters are all like, "I can't believe these guys fucking talk like this." Yeah. They had used to have all these HR HR meetings with us because, like, they had females in there all the time, right? And we are tucking it back, yeah. And just doing weird oh, stuff. Oh, doing all. You're butt ass naked all the time. Yeah. Uh, walking around naked, walking, around, <laughs> slapping each other with towels. You know what I mean? <laughs> Playing dominoes, butt ass naked on the table, like just you know, it's just like. Uh, that's the locker room, though. You know yeah what I mean? yeah. That's your space. That's our space. So we're gonna yeah. be ourselves here. You know, and then like post game, even like after we win a game, we're all naked running around, like just a bunch of boys. But we're grown men now doing it. You know, and it's like it's the funniest shit. That's what you
0: miss the most, though. And
1: that's I do, I do miss it. And that's why, um, you know, that's what I was telling you. I was on a bear hunt with Josh Smith just recently. Oh yeah, he told me
0: when I stopped by his house the day before you guys went on a hunt. Yeah, how was that?
1: It was it was phenomenal.
0: You were Were you successful? No. Yeah.
1: No. But and that's why it's that's why I love hunting. Yeah. And that's why hunting and football are so related to me because. I say this all the time. I failed so much more than I succeeded on the field because yeah. if I, how many times did I rush the passer? Right. I have 36 regular season regular season sacks. Nah. Played 10 years. So think about that. Wow. How many pass plays I didn't get to him? Yeah. Or I almost got to him. Yeah. You know, and it's the same way with hunting. I I almost did get a bear. Yeah. If I would have had a rifle, he would have been done. But I love the bow hunt. You yeah. know, so I took my bow and they were all like, you should have brought a rifle. I'm like, well, it is what it
0: is. Next man. time. Yeah. 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 It is what it is. Be, I do like that too. Yeah. It's yeah. not guaranteed.
1: And I always talk shit when I'm out there too, because that bear was chasing a sow around. I said, that's the last piece of pussy he's going to get, you know, cause I was going to get him when I, cause I thought he went down into this little brush pile to, or this little timber pile to to, yeah. to breed. And then as soon as I went to make a move, the wind switched, And I was like, oh, it's, it's over. And I was like yeah. hundred yards from him. And he knew? He got hit with it? No, oh, you could tell. Yeah, they. Yeah. I heard him kind of moving down through there, and I was like, yeah, it's over. You yeah. that was the only day we saw bears. Did Josh guide you? No, he, he didn't guide me. We had a guide yeah. that knew the area, oh, Okay. and God. he hiked our dicks into the dirt. Like, he was hiking our asses off. Oof. It wasn't a bitter root, so it's just like oh. straight up and down. Those you know? are brutal, man. And I love it. Like, I love that. <sighs> yeah. I hate coming down. I don't mind going up. I coming down, coming down. is hardest, yeah. It's hard on my hips and, and stuff, and I'm bitching the whole time. Yeah.
0: yeah, it sucks going down. Uh, going up's easy for me too. I like, I got the legs, like hiking legs going up, but down all the joints, oh, man, the toes.
1: And then it was wet and rainy the whole time. So uh, you're just like, every log you stepped on, you fell and yeah. just slipping out. I'm like, a guy could tear his ACL out here real quick. You yeah. Know? Like, you gotta it's be so careful funny, out man. here.
0: How did Josh do?
1: Oh, he crushed it. He can move through the, he was like a mountain goat. Yeah. He, he was a lineman.
0: He's like born and raised in that. Yeah.
1: Like, and he was a lineman. Yeah. And if you hear the stories about the stuff they had to go do. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah, he's, he's like, a, yeah, you have to carry a, you know, a 100 pound saw and then yeah. all your gear. You'd have like 170 pounds of gear and then you'd have to hike seven, eight miles. He's a beast, man. Yeah. He is an animal. And, yeah. it, and what he's been able to accomplish with his company and the, the way he's been able to bring people together with his company. So cool. Is just like the coolest thing ever. And yeah. I love being around him. Yeah. Same. I you love know, Josh, man. Yeah. I love people. him. He's just one of the best. I'm going to be with him uh, on. I'm leaving Thursday morning to go out to Utah for TAC. Oh, that's right. Are you yeah, yeah. Be there.
0: Yeah. So I won't be at TAC. I'm podcasting John Dudley.
1: Oh, nice. On
0: Sunday. And my company will be there. We'll have a booth or like the a setup there. But yeah, it's that's a big deal. I mean, that's that's it's a and where is it? It's Park City? It's um or Brighton. not Park City, it's, it's Brighton. Brighton, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's in Brighton. So I'm gonna go out to that and uh I'm I'm just gonna stay with him they got a airbnb He's like, yeah, we'll bring a cot for you. I was like, all right, perfect. Perfect. You know, I don't mind sleeping on that. You know, it's perfect for me. Maybe a big cot for you. Yeah, it's a big cot. Oh, okay. I got a big <laughs> cot. <a> big <laughs> cot. I told him I'd sleep on the floor. He's like, no, nah, we'll pack a cot. And I was like, all, all right, cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So so let's get to back to what we were talking about. How did you how did you transit how was the transition out of the CIA? Like what was that, what were the what were the challenges to that, I guess, is what I what I'm looking for.
0: Well, the big one of the biggest challenges was um, getting used to just being normal, whatever you define normal as, being civilian. Yeah. I know for a fact you had to go through oh, this. Oh, yeah. And so, like, a lot of people immediately... Like, I had all the things, right? I was 100% service-connected disabled, so I had TBI, PTSD related to the TBI, all the ailments and injuries. But a lot of people immediately associate um, transitional issues with post-traumatic stress. And that's not always the case. I, I, I think combat wise, traumatic wise, I'm really resilient because I, I never had issues or hang-ups with you know the losing guys and all the things. Like I just I just didn't. And it's not like a suppressed secret, it's just I'm more resilient to it. But certainly I had issues with transitioning going from this guy or persona sergeant major to just a normal guy. Yeah. So I remember at the time I was dating Is this guy, it gal. like an
1: identity Like that was your identity. It was identity, but also the just just the
0: routine of it. Oh yeah, dude. Even in GRS, I worked out two hours a day Mm -hmm. every day. I would do Jim Jones. I would do Black Horse or all these like advanced endurance things. And I was I was I I consider myself at the time 230 pounds like an endurance athlete because I could push and pull my own body weight. I had good upper body strength, and and even going from that to Am I going to work out today? Like, why do I work out now? Oh, yeah. Right? And it's like, there's no reason to. And then not doing that, not getting sleep, you know. And then, like, I actually discovered CBD during this time period uh, in combination with CBD. And we we're talking about Wolf Twenty One because the, at the time the Veteran Affairs system had me on sleep medication, and it was it made me feel like a zombie. Mm-hmm. So I was dating this gal. She was a, she was a really good person. Uh, and we had a real good setup and I had started Philcraft survival as a business. And I really gave her a hard time because I wasn't prepared to just cut cold Turkey, my entire persona in life and just get up with her every morning and be a, be a boyfriend. You know, like what's your new identity? I'm, I'm a boyfriend. That's all I got. And like literally have nothing else. I'm like, I kind of am the CEO, I guess. Cause it's just me and her. And I didn't have any connections in the military. So, it was tough, man, and I started rediscovering my identity through my company, Phil Craft, um, intentionally. I don't want to say unintentionally, but it's completely intentional because I'm like, "Well, dude, I want to hang out with the guys. Let me just hire one of the, my former teammates, and I, I hire one of my former teammates, and we would go and teach people on the range, and it felt like being on the teams again. Yeah, we do six. We would teach just like I did today, nine nine to two get off, and we drive 16 hours back to Colorado from California, 16 hours straight, and it was easy because you had, like, your buddy. Yeah. You know, and you're chugging monsters. You're, like, pissing on the side of the highway. You're just doing all these things that felt like team life, but it was short-lived because everybody has a different path. And so um, eventually, after screwing up and and admittingly destroying that relationship, I had to kind of find myself. And so I didn't have an easy go. It took me. I mean, I feel like I'm just now getting my shit together, and here we are, seven, eight years from starting the company, um, where I'm like, okay, now I kind of get it, and I'm in my 40s, and like I'm just getting around to being squared away. But even then, I I lapse every once in a while.
1: Yeah, and so what? I understand that. Like, totally understand that. It's a battle, right? Every day, you well, it's like like, you know, well, there's that, there's that animal that stays caged up. He's caged up. You know what I mean? Like there's... Yep. I don't If anybody's ever listened to my Rogan, you, you hear what my mentality was going into a game. Like I was there to fucking take your soul. Like, yeah. That was my goal. Yeah. To fuck you up. Like that was... Yep. Hurt was, you. I'm trying to fucking yep. kill you. Like yep. I'm not using weapons and in, in this and that, but I'm using like, I'm manhandling grown ass <laughs> men. You know, these two 350 pound dudes are going to try to move me. <laughs> and then I would say, you guys like Derrick Henry and Marshawn Lynch are coming through the hole afterwards, you know? So it's like... <laughs> I have to be in a whole different mentality. So I'm like, you know, I was taking mushrooms, taking psilocybin, microdose before a game, and then I was like... Sweet. Super, <laughs> and I was taking, and I was mixing that with Adderall. Oh. So I'm like, and then I'm... Focused. Yeah, so focused and so able to, and that psilocybin was allowed me to like really tap into the rage yeah. and control it. Yeah. And I could just like... Stay calm, stay calm. And it was crazy because I'd go into the bathroom for home games because we have a bathroom right there off the sideline. Uh, like after the first series, I'd like get the jitters out and then I'd go into the bathroom and just like scream in the mirror, just like screaming. Like and I I always called it going into, into berserker mode because it's like I, I was like in touch with these ancestors, like these Viking ancestors. You know, yeah. I did all this. You and
0: know, you look at yourself in the mirror in the eyes. Yeah. Oh, I did dude. all this
1: treatment to like looking to past lives and where I come from. Cause yeah. I, that was the other thing that I struggled with was I didn't know where I came from. Oh, okay. Because I didn't know my dad Yeah. and my mom was like, I didn't really have a good relationship with her at all. So you're rediscovering. So those. I was like re, rediscover, I was discovering myself and like figuring out who I am, and where I come from. And then once I figured out, I was like from Scandinavia yeah. and I do have Viking blood. In well, me, I could have
0: told you that without a DNA it, test.
1: Right. I mean, I, <laughs> I always kind of knew it, but it was like, it was like, dude, I would go into this crazy berserker mode and like like you said come on and then i have to turn it off afterwards right so yeah and just be a normal person so now sometimes like i just want to let that in i want to let let the big dog eat you know what i mean Yeah. Like, i need to get out and and like and hurt something
0: you're an you applebee's know. now like raging it's yeah. like what the <laughs> f-
1: it's like what it's like it's a, you know and it's a it's a balance even though there's not a like there's no reason to like even be that way you know but yeah but, but you it, grew up that way but right? i grew up that way you know that like you're on time no matter what you know and i it was a, and when i got to the league there was a financial punish payment like you had to pay when you were late so i was oh and i'll never pay what's it. A, what's a late fine uh it just depends on what they want to fine you like sometimes it's only 2 grand sometimes it's 15,000 sometimes it's 25,000 like <laughs> just depends oh god you know it it just depends on what they want to do to you like your third offense is going to be the big one and I was only late once in 10 years. Really? So, And it was because we had a blizzard, and uh, I left two hours early. And, and did it was, they find it's, you for it's, that? It's, it's 10 miles down the road here. It's not even 10 miles, like seven miles down the road where the facility is. Yeah. From here. And I had a house that was even closer to it, and I left two hours early because we had this bad blizzard coming, and all three ways to get there were just like, Yeah. you know. And I they either, still find you? And they still find me, yeah.
0: yeah. They must have Twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. They must have raked it in that day because I were, was a rookie, so they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you get." And it. there
1: was like a bunch, all of us were everybody, the whole team was late pretty much. Yeah, the only guys that lived like across the street, you know, made yeah. it on time. But um, yeah. So fieldcraft survival. So explain what that is. Uh,
0: fieldcraft survival is uh, my attempt at this genre of preparedness, and it, it says survival in it, but it's really about preparing in advance for surviving the worst case scenario. So uh, I always say like in special operations, if you go to do a hit and you land on a foreign safe house of terrorists that are clacking themselves off, well, we had a high probability of success in the worst case scenarios. We deliberately put ourselves in. And when I migrated or transitioned to a civilian, I realized nothing like that existed. Sure, you could take a tactical class or you take a first aid or CPR class on the road, but nothing prepared civilians in lifestyle and culture to live a preparedness lifestyle. So if you're in the military and you're special operations, that's not a job. A lot of people say, well, it's just a profession. It's like, no, it's not, because you're thinking about all the time your your lifestyle, which includes health and wellness, physical fitness, shooting well, all the things, planning contingencies, etc., are what make you great at that job. So when you transition to being a civilian, you're like, oh, so nobody cares about anything? Like, I, you know, you see people texting while eating a sandwich, while putting on their makeup, while driving. And you're like, what the hell? It's like, we, we are completely distra- distracted and disconnected from a primal world. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of create a template, uh, preparedness pillars, I call them, and giving people education, training, and equipment that's going to help them be prepared for the worst-case scenario. And I say worst-case, and most people immediately, because they they don't like preppers, they, they think tinfoil hat, guys. Worst-case is not the zombie apocalypse. I mean your worst day. And if somebody says, well, what's my worst day? Your worst day could be a car accident. Yeah, It could be uh, a UTV accident. It could be you just got a phone call that your mom has stage four cancer. How do you get through those things? How resilient are you? How do you work through the process? How do you plan for the worst case? How do you survive? Those things are things that we specialize in now.
1: Yeah. So, so I love that you do that because I feel like most people, a lot of people that I know, really close to me, like for I told you I have that property up in Fairplay. Yeah. Um, when I first bought the property my wife and her friend and my oldest daughter were all up there just kind of like walking the property and looking for, looking for the exact spot where I told him where I wanted to build. Yeah. But I wasn't able to go. So my daughter, my wife like gets, she had to like go back to the car to meet some, meet the real estate agent. Um, my friend and my daughter get lost out there. And this, you gotta think this is like national forest back pike national. Yeah. So it's like, you're a million acres going deep in there. Like you don't know, if you don't know how to work a compass or like which direction you came from, even like it all looks the same when you get in there, you know? So you don't have any reference to how to get out. Well, my wife told me the story when she got back about how there was like pandemonium in there. Like, you know, they, they panicked, completely panicked, like freaking out, (laughs) yelling at each other, like
0: running around in circles. Yeah.
1: They're just going in circles. (laughs) And I I was like, well, (laughs) I was like, well, that's because if you've never put yourself in that situation, Mm -hmm. when the time comes, you are going to panic yep. because it's your, it's your nature, right? It's your human nature to like, that's, it's uh you know, I was just doing some deep sea diving, um, free diving, not uh deep sea, but I was going like 45 feet. Yeah. You know? And for me, that's deep. Yeah. You know, and I, just the, your first reaction is panic. Yeah. Cause as soon as you start feeling like I'm running out of air, your mind tells you you need to freak out and get up, get out of here, get some air, go get air. Yeah. But if you just like ignore that and think rationally, I think that you can. Most people just don't think rationally, right? They just freak out. So you know, it's we had the same the same um, tactics in football. So we would practice every single scenario that could go down on the field. Mm. Every scenario is practiced and talked mm. about. That way, when it happens, you've already done it. You've already been there. Yep. So it, is that the kind of the approach that you're taking? You're just putting people in these situations and um, letting them experience what that's like and how you can like how you can kind of come out of it even better.
0: Yeah, it's we call it exposure, right? Any time that you could expose yourself to vulnerability, weakness, deficiency, um, the worst case scenario, the factor that most people are missing in their lives is conditioning for stress, mm. right? We look immediately identify stress as a bad thing. And if you say stress is bad, immediately you've already lost nearly the fight before it began. Because stress is a component in your central nervous system to activate and mobilize your physical body to be able to survive. We recognize uh, in science a lot of it, is fight or, it's like fight or flight. It's a sympathetic nervous response. It's cortisol, norepinephrine, all the things. Well, if you think about your life, every single every single interaction you have with stress really tells you the story of how you're going to survive or not. So, for example, if you're driving in downtown Denver and you hear on the radio your favorite team lost and you start beating the the steering wheel and you freak out because you know you lost some money or you're just upset emotionally or you road rage on people. Some comedian was talking recently on Rogan's podcast where he's like, you ever think it's funny because when you're walking with people – and somebody walks in front of you, you're like, yeah, nothing, no big deal. But if somebody's in a car, and they pull in front of you, you're like, Yo, I'll fucking kill you. Who are you doing? It's like, it, they're just in a car. They're pulling in front of you. Like, no big deal. We're yeah. in same direction. But most of us, <laughs> because we have a, uh, we have a miscalculated um, disposition when it comes to stress in our lives, we think that's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. We stress out. We freak out. So if you freak out in r- normal interactions in life, likely in the worst case scenario, that's going to be real stress, real intense in volume, and real short in duration, that's typically how disaster works, you are not going to survive. So we expose people to stressors as much as possible. Like today, I put my students through a stress shoot. Five minutes of calisthenics. And I tell them like, guys, you like 30 minutes of Pilates, women do every single day in this country. And I'm asking you as Grown men, which this class is all men, who have all the tactical gear, all the black multicam, who look the part. They got all the tattoos, all the beards. Uh-huh. <laughs> like in the entire state of Colorado, it's there. And then you tell them to do five minutes calisthenics and they're like breaking down. Three minutes in at 120 beats per minute, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's like, guys, this is calisthenics. But the more they expose themselves what to What kind that,
1: of calisthenics do you have them doing?
0: Well, uh, we do air squats, push-ups, jumping jacks, burpees, and, um, and uh, alternating lunges, right? So I basically want to get them to 150, which is optimized for what they'll experience in a fight-or-flight or sympathetic nervous response. And that's the exercise I want to culminate in and see what they're technically made of. Because a lot of guys fall in love with themselves. It would be like like... Standing in the yard, throwing the football. That's easy to do. You culminate it with people trying to rip your head off. That's harder to do. Yeah. The more you practice that component of people coming towards you, you evading, standing in your box and throwing the football, the better off you'll be. That's all we're doing. So in civilian training, we technically get proficiency or build proficiency and then we culminate under stress, physical stress, scorable targets, time, the constraints, and we see what you're made of. And... You, the point is to see what falls apart. Yeah. We want you to fall apart because most guys just fall in love with themselves. They hit themselves in the back and they're like, dude, I crushed it. It's like, no, there's always something to work on. Always. Always. Always
1: something to get better at. <sighs> always. And if you're always working on, you know, we used to say this in football. If you're always working on what you're good at, you're just going to stay the same. You'll like, never improve. You, well, you really don't stay the same because everybody else around you is working or getting better. <laughs> everybody else around you, there's, you know... A uh, moving moving, tar- you know, something Peyton told me. He's like, you either get better or you get worse. You never stay the same. Interesting. you know. And that's, to me, that it's is true. like the truest statement huh. ever because. Because everybody around you is everybody getting Everybody around yeah. you is either getting worse or getting better. Nobody's uh, on this like just, oh. Uh, yeah. Like it, when you're complacent, just like, oh, I just do this today, you know. Yeah. I'll just work on this today because that's what I'm good at. Or yeah. I don't want to look stupid doing this drill. So I'm just going to, you know, continue. Like I don't like squatting because I'm not a big squatter. So I'm just going to bench press. Yeah. It's like, well, you're not getting better. Like you're yeah. not making yourself any better by doing the same thing over and over again. Interesting. And and thinking you're just going to be, you know, the same. Because guess what? The guy, ne- the guy is watching film too. These offensive linemen, those guys get paid, and they're watching film on you too. So, am I what am I doing to get better? You know, at that at that situation. And I love what you do when you're saying you're getting their heart rate to a certain point and then make them go shoot. Mm. Because I do that same thing. I have a target right out here because I got my gym right here. I'll get my heart rate to 160. Yep. and I'll come out here, grab my bow and take shots. Yeah. And because, it's hard. Yeah. And it is hard to, yep. f- to lock in a focus. Like after doing hard focus, you yep. know, after doing, you know, after doing a, you know, 2000 meter row as, and trying to do that in six and a half minutes, you know, rowing for just six and a half minutes, as hard as I can jumping off of that. And then doing, you know, a hundred kettlebell swings and then, you know, 15 burpees. Yeah. And then I come over here, grab my bow and I'm like barely able to stand up but I'd knock an arrow and pull it back <sighs> and just release somebody it That's down. the best way to do it. And it's like, okay, I got my heart. I got my breathing down. Yep. And I think that's why people freak out because they're not breathing. They're just like, you know, and I think it's their ego. They're like, I can do this. I'm like, you know, alpha yeah. guy that can, you know, tactical guy that's out here. You know, you know, I looked like you said, they looked the part, yeah. you know, they're acting like they serve, they're acting this way Yeah. and it's all an act. Well, we're going to expose you. Yep. You know, And that's the only way to get better is to expose your weaknesses and then strengthen those weaknesses, right? Cam
0: Haynes podcast. Yeah. I mean, that whole lift, run, shoot, I knew I was going to be weaker. I knew I could shoot a, 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 a bow and – I knew I could lift weights, but I knew cardiovascular wise I was out of shape, and especially comparative to Cam Haynes. Well, yeah, he's an ultra. runner, He's an ultra runner, ultra marathoner. It's like he's they're going psychos to me. to me.
1: Those guys are psychopaths. Insane. How do you do? How?
0: And why? More, <laughs> more why? More why? <laughs> I can't, we're not built, designed to run that far, that long. No. Specifically me and you. Yeah. Cam Haynes is built, he's like optimized for it. He's dialed for it.
1: He is. He's like a mountain goat,
0: too. Dude, he's he's just a specimen. He's like
1: running, he's like, oh, I'm on mile 10, and he's like taking a video, talking. And I'm like, dude, I would be so gassed (laughs) at mile, I don't care how much I run, I'd have to lose... Another fifty pounds to be able to yeah. run like that. How much are you right now? How much two eighty five? Just yeah. that's like my natural weight. You
0: I'm two thirty five right now and like I just not it's not it's not built in. My knees and my body are not going to be happy.
1: Yeah. I can hike all yeah, day.
0: Same. Yeah. But
1: when I start running I not cause you know, I think I, I was built I was trained my whole life for sprints, just like short bursts of energy. Yeah. And then 20 seconds of rest. So like six, a uh, football play is about six seconds. So well, if I can go as hard as I can for six, six seconds, seconds and then stop.
0: Reset. And reset. Recover. Line up and do it again. Yeah.
1: That's how I've trained my whole Intervals, life. Yeah. So now you're telling me I got to run for...
0: Six days. For
1: six days? <laughs> <laughs> that You're going 100 miles. I'm like, what do you know?
0: Dude, he's I'll, crazy, man. I'll be crawling. Respect to those guys. I mean, big him, respect. Goggins, and... That's next level stuff, and I did a fifty miler once. It just did not fare well.
1: Did you? Um, yeah, it was not did good. Did you? How much did, of it did you run, and how much did you think you, that you? Just so saw?
0: I did. So I did the. I trained up for it, and it was pre-COVID, and then COVID shut down the actual race. So I said, "I'll go do it my own, on my own." So I went out twenty. I, I went out twenty-five miles, and was feeling okay. And then came back and barely made it home. Oh, and it it took me. I mean, it took me all. <laughs> da- it took me a, a day. But when I it, there's things that happen to my body because when you train in that zone, uh, and I don't know, I'm not an expert at this. So if you are, I apologize. I'm hacking this. But there's there's a certain bracket that you stay in, and it's painfully slow. So the tendency for most people is to stretch it out, extend themselves, you know make themselves feel better by extending themselves. And the ultra marathoners will tell you, never do that. Because if you come out of that zone, your body, your glycogen, all the systems operate in a different zone, a different operating mechanism. And so I came out of that zone several times and then paid the price for it. And so I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot run so slow at this pace. And I extended myself trying to make up time and that crushed me. And so by the end of it, Every joint, everything in my body, all the cramping, all the glycogen depletion, zonking, all those bad things that happened, they were happening to me. And I couldn't recover fast enough. Yeah. And then by the end of those runs, and Cam talks about this in his book Endure, which is a, a great read, by the way. But at the end of that run, when you start hitting windows where you're missing your feed or your hydration windows, everything compounds itself. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just like limping back and... My spouse at the time, who was my ex-girlfriend, she was driving up down the roads looking for me. And she found me, and I, and I said, no, I'm finishing. And she's like, you don't look good. And I'm like, all right, let me get the car. We, just, we drove back home, and I was like, dude, I will never do that again. <laughs> dude, I, it broke me. It broke me really bad. Oh, it's miserable, yeah. man. And it was it was it for the gram. It was It, it was like just me. You just want to see if you can do it. Just to see yeah, if I can. Because you've it. been training for it. I've been. Tra- I was training for it, and and so I was you're disappointed.
1: Invested and you, you know, you invested that time. And I was all
0: invested, and people were excited to he- to hear about it, and I was like, I'm going to do it, and I did it. Except it just did not turn out the way I thought. Right. it Right. It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible, man. Oh. Well,
1: some guys were just not built for running, you know. What I mean, like I like, could
0: ruck like you. Like if, if you put a ruck on me in the backcountry, like my my twelve mile time, twelve mile standard, I think is three hours. I could I could ruck it in two. Twelve mile time for special operations, I think is four or five hours. It might even be five hours. I could ruck eighteen miles in three hours, which is essentially running half the time. Yeah. So you have to be running with a, I think it's a thirty-five pound ruck for twelve pound, twelve miles. It might be forty-five pounds. I can't. I can't. And I'm. This is a decade ago. I can't remember. But anyways, I could move with a ruck for extended periods of time, really good. Where I saw most of my peers fall off. Yeah. But if you did the ruck and you set it aside, those dudes would smoke me in runs. Yeah. And I would just be running real slow.
1: Yeah. Just yeah. staying at a certain pace. Yeah.
0: But I could sp- I could sprint, but I could not run f- long distances. Dude,
1: running a mile for me is still hard. And I I wrestled in high school, yeah. So we did a lot of running. Like I did a lot of five to ten mile runs all the time. But it was such a slow pace for me. Yeah. And it was all about just keeping your legs moving. You know, <laughs> moving forward, one step moving at a forward, time. Yeah. yeah, one step at a time, because you know, that's that's wrestling, man. Like just keep moving. Yeah. Just what weight moving. class were you? in Heavyweight. Okay,
0: so heavyweight is up 285. Or up? No,
1: 285 and under. So it's 215 to 285. Oh, the cap is 285. Yeah.
0: Is there anything above 285? No. Okay, you can't be heavier than 285. No.
1: Wow. No. And I think they actually bumped it down to 275. Wow. So. You got to be light. You got to be a little bit lighter, yeah. Yeah. But it was, uh, It was. Uh, I, I have so much respect for wrestlers because it was the hardest sport I've ever done. Like, yeah. It was. It was tough. Yeah. Like, the re- it's, it's, it's not the match itself. It's the training for the match, yeah. right? Because you're training for – and then you got to do tournaments that are like, you know, three-day tournaments, and you're wrestling two or three times a day. Yeah. And in a heavyweight match, you're probably going to go to overtime when you get good guys. So you're wrestling for nine minutes. Yeah. You know, and nine minutes of wrestling, you're pummeling with a guy. You're tied up and locked up. Yeah. And, like, at any moment, he could shoot on you. That's why, I like, fighters to me are just, like, the training that those guys do. You gotta it's worry incredible. about getting kicked and elbowed and choked and taken yeah. down and all this other stuff that goes on. You know, just in wrestling, I had to worry about somebody taking me down. Yeah. You know, so I could find ways to like concert, you know, use energy when I needed to use it and save it when I needed to save it. But you know, the running was just like we'd start the day off with a 30 minute run. Oof. That's how we started our practice off. We'd go run, just run for thirty minutes. Oof. And if and if anybody if they felt like anybody wasn't running hard, they would like started time over. So we've got really? 15 minutes and they started over. Oh, um, they didn't have all these roles like they have now where we, we could, we would practice for two, three hours Yeah, uh, and then go in there and they always had three fresh guys for me. Yeah. Uh, so they would have I, my first drilling partner. We would go live wrestle, you know, and then, you know, he would tap out and then the next guy would come. I was in like this crazy cardiovascular shape and, you know, I just, I, I can't even like imagine doing that now. What that looks like. I do these pretty intense workouts now, these hit workouts that are like, like I, I told you some of the stuff, but you know, it's pretty intense and it's hard and it pushes me. And that's why I love it. Cause it gives me that, like it's that, uh that adversity, right? So it's that anytime that my mind tells me you should quit and then yeah. I fight through that, I feel great. feels great. Yeah. It feels great to do that. Yeah. And I think that like quitting as a disease that if you do it once, it's easier the next time. Right.
0: Same. Yeah. I feel that. same. If time. you
1: quit one time, the next time you want to quit, it's a little easier to quit. So, again, it gets easier and easier. The next thing you know, you're just like a guy that never really finishes anything.
0: Yeah, that's they, they talk about that a lot in, in the military. Cam Haynes talk, has talked about it, about quitting. And I just talked to a, a buddy of mine, Jericho Denman, a podcast to him for Black Rifle. And we were talking about it as well. Like his He quit baseball. Fast pitch was the first thing he quit because he was getting pummeled by some kid. Throwing a ball. And he's like, I can't do this. And his dad, who was an arranger, told him, if you quit once, you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. And he, he obviously was not a quitter post that experience, but that generally becomes easier and more conscious um, to clear your consciousness by just saying, yeah, it's just, and you look for excuses and reasons oh, yeah. not to stay in it. And I'm not talking about like, you got a shitty relationship and your spouse sucks. Quit. You're not quitting. That's just like walking away or just ending. I'm talking about you're in something that you want to do and you desire to be there and you're quitting because it's hard. Right. A, a lot of people expect, like, I always think it's funny when guys quit SEAL and Green Beret and Ranger training. Like, what you expect? Like, I, if you have your, if you manage your expectation, you go into something and you go, this is going to be the shittiest experience of my life, but I'm going to love it. Well, your mindset is you expect it to suck.
1: You embrace that. You
0: embrace it. I, I, my mindset in all special operations selections that I've been through were, I, I would, I remember, I, I in in specific selection processes, I was like, this ain't bad, this ain't that bad, and then I got to the moment where it was bad. I'm like, okay, this is what they meant. This is where it hits the road. Like, holy crap, this sucks. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, I love it though. Yeah. And you know, if you don't have that mindset going in. And, and you're potentially looking for the out, I've seen guys, they they look for the excuse, they find it, and it's all downhill from there. And that process is like cancer. And when you'll see one guy do it, the next guy next to him will do it, and it spreads. It's like, keep that away from me. Yeah, I don't want to be near that. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's something that I experienced in my life today. Like I want to be around winners. I don't want to be around losers. Exactly.
1: I can't, um, you know, I I had to make a lot of changes in my life with the people that were around me because when I was playing foot, when I was playing ball, it was like my teammates were those people. Yeah. You know? And I, I always said, you know, I always say this, I'm like, look, you gotta want this. Like you want that next breath of air. Like you have to want, it's too hard to play the, in this league. It's too hard for you to just be half in and half out and like looking for excuses and reasons why you, reasons why you didn't run to the ball. Like anything could happen. If you put if you just run to the football, good things will happen to you. Yeah. Like you can make a team and stay on a team for a couple of years and make a couple million bucks if you just run to the football. Mm. And a lot of guys wouldn't do it because it was too hard. Mm. Because they didn't want it bad enough. Mm. There was other things they wanted to do mm. that that just wasn't, you know, it wasn't important enough to them to where they would push themselves to that like complete exhaustion where you're cramping and you're like, Oh my, you think you're going to die. But right when you think you're going to die and you push through that, that threshold, that's where you get better. Yeah. That's where you find like greatness is like just pushing a little harder. And then some me, I never knew how to just stop. So I would like push myself until I just like passed out like I would just fall out and go into a full body cramp and wake up in a bathtub or in a cold tub with IVs in my arm because I just would push it until I, I'm like I'm not gonna die they're not gonna let me die out here you know that's the way I looked at it, it was like you're not like, that's there's, awesome. there's an ambulance right there they're not gonna let me die you know I'll just go until I can't go anymore yeah you know and that's and I think too many people you know they go into something like you said and they don't they don't embrace that suck like they're not like, they're like this is gonna be fun and this is gonna be a good time. Yeah, that's going to be fun, but it's also going to suck. Yeah. Like 90% of it's going to suck probably. But you go through that pain for that 10% of awesomeness.
0: And that slight tinge of discomfort, they flinch or they wince and they're out. Yeah. Which is, I I think is, I mean, we're in a comfort crisis as we speak, but I, I look at this and go, dude, our society is so fragile right now and we're so complacent because we're so comfortable. Yeah. We haven't made. I mean, I you know, I was on a range today for six hours in the sun. Well, one, I got vitamin D. I got all, all the things that I needed to uh, out of the training, teaching the students. We got like, a lot of great feedback. It was a great experience working with 30 students. Then I get my vehicle, and I'm in 68-degree AC. Drive over here to another box, which is our lives are little boxes of comfort. And tonight I'll be sleeping in a hotel in a really cozy bed. That's not a difficult life.
1: That That's not how most people yeah. in most countries live. 100%. Like most countries, I've been, you've been all around the world. Yeah. I've gotten, I've had the, the, um, the ability to get to travel all over the world to Egypt, to all over Thailand because of football. Cause you're, home. no, because of my, because, because of my wife, I ne- did. I never got on a, I, my first time on an airplane was my freshman year of college. Wow! So I'd never been anywhere.
0: So she's a traveler. She wanted you to. She you guys loves to, go to travel.
1: travel. Oh, really? Cool. Like she got, she went and lived in Australia for a year. Oh, that's awesome. She's, just, I mean, she is fucking incredible. So these are vacations. Yeah, these are vacations. Travel vacations. Yeah, and I, I just never wow. would have thought to go to Egypt, right? Yeah. Like we, our goal was to go on a European trip, but she was like, "Hey, we could stop in Egypt on the way. Like, wow. so let's do it." So we did. We spent 24 hours in Egypt and saw literally every part of Cairo we could see. <laughs> It's called, I call it extreme vacation.
0: Like, <laughs> we got 24 hours. Yeah. Go. She's like, we
1: ah, got 24 hours. We're going to the Great Pyramid. We go there and we ended up, it's, this is a great story. Cause it was like so sketchy. Cause if you've been to Egypt, obviously Egypt is sketchy, it is a sketchy place sketchy. and they don't really like Americans there. They hate Americans. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> we went to the pyramid and our hotel was really close to it and they took us to the pyramid and you know, this guy's, you know, he's talking to me and he's like, hey, uh, don't drink the water here because they, you know, it's not like they'll try to poison you. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they'll take like shitty creek water and yeah, and give put it, it in you. a bottle and give it to you pretty much. And I was like, whoa. I was like, okay. And he was like, listen, do you want to go? You want to like see the real Cairo? And I was like, yeah.
0: The answer is always yes. Yeah.
1: I want to see the real Cairo. Like, I don't want to do all the touristy stuff. He's like, well, first we're going to climb to the center of the pyramid. I was like, hell yeah! So we climbed all the way to the center of the Great Pyramid,
0: really, into the tomb. Yeah, dude.
1: And it was badass. It was like a forty meter climb in this little box, like this big. I just, and I you
0: know, assume that's not something you could just no, normally do. No, you are not supposed do. to be
1: able to do it. They have guys guarding the door. And he but just, he had to hook up. But he had the hook up, and they were like, "All right, go ahead." But you can't take any pictures. And I was like, "Okay, fine." But we did. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, did you take pictures? <laughs> yeah, we took pictures. So rad. So it was really badass. Oh. Um, and then, and then he took us after that, he was like, all right, we had to leave with our, with our, uh, hotel, the guy from the hotel, he had an AK 47 on him Yeah, because it's like destabilized there. You know, it was not good at that time. It was, this is in 2018. So, you know, it was like, they just come out of a civil war pretty much. Yeah.
0: The, uh, it was called the, uh, Arab spring.
1: Yeah. 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 It was like still pretty bad. The he second goes, version of he it. goes, Hey, I want to show you the real Cairo. He's like, go back to the hotel or when you're going back to the hotel, ask him if he'll take you to this falafel place. And I'm like, and he, I was like, okay. And then what? And he's like, then just go out the back door and I'll be there. And I was like, so we just got to ditch him. He's like, yeah. Cause if not, they won't let you like, they'll make a big fuss about it. And I was like, all right, dude. And he was show. he showed me pictures of him with other Americans. Yeah. He knew the underground that were, that were actually people that I actually, other players that he had worked with before. Yeah. So he knew that's really cool. So it was like really, I got really lucky to run into this guy. But he um, it probably
0: wasn't unintentional, though. No, I likely think I he mean, probably does it a lot. That's probably oh, they how probably he makes at, a living. Well, they probably look at it. Itin- I mean, those guys probably have access to itineraries. Oh yeah, they can look at you and go, "Oh, you're in business class, huh? Oh, let's let's see who these guys are." And they probably Google the names for oh, business yeah. class. Oh yeah, uh, that's I've seen that happen before. And some of those guys work directly for the tourism ministry of those countries. To one collect foreign intelligence on on people, but it's all passive. So yeah. it's like it's not a part of an op or clandestine kind of operation, but it's force protection. It's like, oh, get the important person, bring them in, connect with them, build rapport or relationships, and get information. Right. And that information is reported, but it could be informal. Could what be do like people want to do? Yeah. Right. Like, did they have fun yeah. doing
1: this? Did they have fun doing that? Like, yeah. Because they're trying to – tourism is like – that's how they make their money.
0: Egypt's number one industry is tourism. Yeah. And after COVID, I mean, it destroyed that. I mean, it destroyed the whole industry. Yeah. In most places. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so he said, go to the falafel. We go there. Well, he told us to make sure we order a tea when we get there because it's really good, right? They wouldn't serve us in there. They wouldn't serve my wife and I. Like, they wouldn't even come talk to us. Really? Yeah. And I was like, wow, they really hate us in here. Like, they hate us.
0: So, did, we, you, did they know you're American?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, look at me. Well, could yeah. you play? I mean, you could play
0: it off like you're any, you could have been like, I'm Scandinavian, I'm, I'm Norwegian. And they would be like, oh, cool, we'll take care of you. Cause I've seen that happen too. Cause I've been like, oh, I'm Canadian. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. We well, like my Canadians. wife
1: said that when she lived in Australia. Yeah. She lived over there. She just told everybody she was from Canada because she got treated better. Yep.
3: So, that's how it is. I was
1: like, well, that's crazy. And I was, but Isn't me, I crazy? like. Scream American sometimes, like yeah. you know, the loud like, Tell American. Tell people from your from the states, like yeah. I'm like, I walk in there, I'm like laughing loud, like you know. <laughs> well, you're big, you're yeah. a big dude. They're like, this is definitely American. This guy's from America. Like yeah. they're not feeding them like that anywhere else, you know. So the falafel place didn't serve. They you? wouldn't serve us. So I get I get a WhatsApp message from the guy, and I was like, all right, we got to go. And she was like, I don't know. My wife was like super sketched. I was like, we'll be fine. You know, it's gonna be fine. Yeah. And back in my head, I was like, this could get real Western, real quick. <laughs> you know but we go out the back door we jump in the car with him and he just like speeds out of there and he's going down the wrong way on this on the street and then he like jumps the median to get on the right side we go down and he's like um i'm gonna take you guys to my house first and i was like oh this is gonna take us to your house we go to his house and he like introduces me to his whole family like his wife and his kids and everything and i was like oh this is great you know he's like you guys want to ride on some camels and i was like yeah so we take we ride camels around there's like kids chasing us around there's why you know the dogs over there are out of control yeah. wild dogs running around um, and then we went up into the um, up into the sand dunes well first we went and seen some like uh, uh purebred um, horses yes yeah. Arabian horses awesome really cool that was such a cool experience to see those horses how they That's crazy. how they take care are of them Are they
0: wild or are they they're domesticated They're domesticated okay. but like
1: I'd never seen a you know a purebred, purebred. Arabian you know yeah. in Arabia Arabia you know yeah. so I was like let's let's do it and then he took us up into the up into the dunes and he had like a tent set up up there like a, a little camp set up with a generator and they cooked us dinner up there and really it was so cool man it was such a cool experience yeah and then like I said we were only there for 24 hours so
0: you're doing all this um hip pocket just winging it yeah and then you get see that's the best those are the best you know th- those those experiences which aren't so pre-planned that are very uh those random, um spontaneous yeah. adventures. Those are the best memories, man.
1: Yeah, it was the best. The worst part about it was so the next day we had to go to Athens. So the next morning early, yep. we woke up and went to Athens and spent the whole day, just one day in Athens too. So seeing yeah. everything in Athens and it was hotter than hell. Oof. And I had the worst diarrhea. From Egypt? From Egypt, yeah. From yeah. that dinner. Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: That that, dude, the bacteria, the backstrom is just completely different. Oh,
1: it's unreal. I I I I don't know how it didn't bother her. I think it's it's because she's she ate the chicken and I ate the beef. Oh, yeah, never eat the beef. Yeah, and I was like, she's like, I wouldn't eat that beef. And I was like, it looks really good and smells good. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> and
3: <laughs> I did. And, and you shouldn't have
1: ate it. Dude, and the bathroom, you know the bathrooms in Europe, how small they are. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'm just sweating up a storm. And every bathroom I saw, I yeah. stopped at and just like pissed out of my ass you know and oh, then, it sucks man. but it was cool because i got to see all of athens and then we went to santorini
0: we're uh, santorini in? greece it's like an island oh that's greece. right yeah. it's
1: that volcanic island yeah that's beautiful yeah we went there awesome it's like the when you see the pictures it's all the white concrete buildings yep. yeah we went there and we were supposed to spend a day there then go over to mykonos for two days and like kind of party yeah but i was like i need a day. Yeah, like I'm not moving. I'm I'm staying in the bed all day. I need a day of rest. I just like I'm so dehydrated and so miserable. I need a day. Uh, so we did. We just stayed there for an extra day, and then um, then we went to Paris. And you want to talk about American hating people? The it's, Parisians isn't it crazy. It's not all of France. It's just yeah, Parisians. Like they, we get to the hotel, and this guy walks out the front desk guy walks out to help us with their bags, sees where Americans turns around, and walks back in, wouldn't help us with our bags. And then he like changed our room. and wouldn't give us a room we had that was like facing the Eiffel tower, you know, cause this is when I was still playing. And we, just we get very little bit of time to like travel. So when yeah. we travel, we just like do it right. You know, it was like a small boutique hotel that she wanted to stay at. That was right by the, right by the um, Eiffel tower. And they were treating you guys. And they like were that. treating us like shit. And then the elevator was so small I couldn't get on it, and they were like, "You can't get on the elevator." Like, sorry. So I had to like carry our bags. up. <laughs>
0: you're American and you're big. Yeah. You ain't getting on.
1: Yeah. So Paris <laughs> kind of sucked, but then we went to Rome. Rome was cool. Rome's cool. Man. Really cool place. That's one of my favorite cities. Yeah, it's a really cool city. Loved it there. So awesome. Good um, food too. Oh, oh, unbelievable food. God. Um, London, Cheap. London's cool too. I like London. L- I do too. I think London's a really cool city. I had I a good time yeah.
0: there. England's cool overall. Yeah. The castles, cool. the food, the people. Yeah. For the most part. There's a lot of loud people, but I, I, all the food in all those places.
1: Yeah, money. Have you been to Thailand?
0: I have. So I, I, I spent a little time in Malaysia and went to Thailand a couple of times, but not like the Thailand like Phuket and these big
1: places. Yeah, I been. yeah. Um, I highly suggest doing a trip over there.
0: Really? Which what city?
1: So I would fly into Bangkok. And leave Bangkok immediately. So we went Bangkok to Chiang Mai, which is like the mountains. Yep. Um, and go to one of the um, elephant refugees. Or, oh, uh, cool. Refugees. Refugees. Refuges. Refuge. Ref- yeah, refuges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. refuges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but they these are all like rescued elephants.
0: Oh, really cool.
1: And they're like the coolest, like, they're like big dogs. Yeah. They just want to hang out with you. And you just yeah. like walk around. You go on a hike with them. And you're like feeding them. Bananas and watermelon the whole and they're way. They're different elephants. They they're, they're different smaller, species, yeah, right? This they're Asian.
0: They, they have these big yeah,
1: floppy things. Big floppy ears. Like yeah, they're really so cool. cool. And they're just like, um, it was a it was a big sister, and then like a teenage sister, and then like a baby one. Oh man! And they were all three with us, and the baby one like thinks it's a lap dog, so it's like trying to like lay <laughs> on you. It's like a you know six hundred pound line or a six hundred pound uh, elephant. It's like rolling on you, and then you walk, you They take you to this river. And they'd get in the river with them and give them a bath. Oh, that's really cool. And it was, like, that. the coolest thing ever, man. It was it's so, so awesome. cool. And then from Chiang Mai, we took a little puddle hopper over to, um, I want to say, Koh Samui. Uh-huh. So we went it's to... Down Ko- the coast? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, so you were inland on the mountains, and then you went to the coast. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, and then we... I can't remember the, where, everywhere. I know we went to Phuket, Koh Samui, um, Koh Phangan for the um, full moon party. Yeah. Which was awesome. That's really cool. Unbelievable. I mean just people everywhere the I mean, food too and, and in the thailand. food in thailand bro it's the fa- it's my favorite oh
0: man it's Dude,
1: so good it is so fresh oh. it's so good
0: that's what it is it's fresh yeah and it is then, so good
1: and then i know the last well, we spent 14 days there
0: Ooh, that's a good that's yeah, a good was a, run. it was our honeymoon so we, oh, cool. Yeah,
1: so it was really a, just an unbelievable time and then the last day and night we spent um in bangkok and we went to the, and we did like a tour of the Bangkok River, and it was the most disgusting place I've ever seen. And I was like, this is gross. Disgusting. They said, don't let the water touch you because you'll get hepatitis. And there's people swimming in it. Yeah, bathing and splashing. And then they in have those monitor lizards everywhere. Ugh. These big, like six foot long monitor lizards swimming around gross. everywhere. Gross. And I was like, this is disgusting. And then their huts are like just dropping. Droppings are just falling right down the river. So. Yeah,
0: and then dudes wash it, splashing. And he's like
1: washing this. I'm like, this is crazy. And that that was my first real experience in like a third world country, yeah. other than like Mexico, which can get kind of nasty down there. But like for the most part, you know, yeah, it's it's still decent, it's still civilized. Yeah, it's still kind of civilized. But it, it was just like to see like the how these big. You have these giant skyscrapers, and then you have a house on bamboo sticks I know, man. right next to each other.
0: The disparity between it's like, wealth and whoa. poverty is insane. Yeah,
1: and that's when I was—that's when I first realized how lucky lucky we were to live in this country. So lucky, because nobody lives like that here. Yeah, like the even wire. the homeless live better than that here. They do. They I mean they're
0: I given mean, free crack pipes and free drugs and food. <laughs> and, I mean, they live really well. I mean, they do. Nobody's suffering here.
1: No, no, yeah. not real suffering. No. Uh, most of these, most of the homeless here, are like that's by choice. It is. Like and, they made a choice. Yeah. And most a, of them,
0: sir, when surveyed, say they don't. They'd rather be homeless.
1: You know what's crazy? To, um, have you heard the story about the the tunnels under Vegas?
0: The under Vegas, under Las uh-uh. Vegas, uh-uh. under the uh-uh. under the Strip. There's uh-uh. like
1: these flood tunnels. These tunnels for flooding, which obviously sewer doesn't really flood. flood there. Yeah, it's for rain flooding. Okay, and it doesn't really rain a lot there, so yeah. like they don't. You know, there's a whole city down there of bums, of people. There's people down there that have never like seen above ground, like
0: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, that's intriguing.
1: Yeah, I really would like to. I'll be
0: in Vegas tomorrow, not tomorrow, the next day, the following day. Yeah,
1: you should look up, look it up, look into it,
0: dude. I would, I want to go in there. I know, me too. I just don't know where
1: do you, how do you get there?
0: So it's an actual thing. It's actual thing, but you can't visit it. I assume it's just like like oh, interesting. I'm sure I got a could. couple law enforcement buddies there. I might ask
1: them about you it. You should ask them and see if they could take you down there. Wow! But I guess it's like it's got. They have their own like language in some areas of what? it. Like yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, uh, I need one of those uh, tour guides to show me around. <laughs> <laughs> take me to falafel down in the in the holes.
1: Oh uh, yeah, oh, man. Shit. Well, shit, brother. I really appreciate you coming. Oh,
0: this and is telling awesome. your
1: story and having a good time with me man i really appreciate it this is um episode 5
0: yeah who's your first episode
1: my first one was scott parker he's a he was an avs enforcer for the uh, colorado avalanche oh awesome uh, yeah and he's he's i've known him for years and i just yeah. thought it'd be a good good one to have for the first time Who's was two what was two 3 um justin lasick was 2 yeah you know who i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah justin awesome really uh, cool dude Unbelievable stories. Like, oh, he's awesome. Just he's such ready. a cool, cool dude. Yeah. Three was my old teammate, Emmanuel Sanders. Yep. And then four was um, AG from um, Toehold. Yep. Um, you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then now you.
0: That's really cool, man. Uh, what's cool is you could tap into, I mean, like Cam taps into uh, hunters. I mean, he taps into a lot of people, but the ability for you to tap into professional athletes. That's, I'm actually intrigued by that because you really don't hear a lot of you guys talking about stuff like post the experience. Right. Which is similar to like special operations talking about their experiences. I'm very intrigued by that. So I, I'm looking forward to catching up on those podcasts and, and also listen to you grow in the future, man. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm, yeah. I'm
1: really happy about it. I'm really excited about the future here. Um, I want this bad. Like I, this is what I want to do. Um, I, I stopped doing radio stop doing pretty much everything other than this and my hunting show on YouTube and that's what I want to do and that's like right, I said man. I'm going to talk to Kevin uh, McNamara today. Yeah. And we're going to come up with a game plan to do some stand up together. Hell yeah. Cuz I just think I I don't know, you could take a story and tell it and make it fun and Yeah. You know, I I do a good job of keeping my ego in check too, so Yeah. Make fun you, of yourself yeah, and way As long as you could do that, like I make fun of myself really well so it's, <laughs> you know it's perfect. So I'm looking forward to so it. So thanks, man. brother. I really appreciate, yeah, appreciate you. Appreciate you, brother. Awesome time, man.
3: Thanks, man.